Hi, everybody, and welcome to Full Marks. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. And uh, you seemed a little surprised by uh, just... the opening, by your name. No, it wasn't Startled my name. by your own name. It was the fact that if I was opening the show, I wouldn't have said Full Marks, because I would have forgotten we were doing that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. What do you think we were else. doing? We were doing the Beatles podcast still? I thought I would have said Sneaky Dragon, and then I would have been like, oh, that's not the right show. All right. Well, let's explain why Dave's <laughs> saying that. We also do a podcast called Sneaky Dragon. Uh, this is our sidecast, as Dave calls it, uh, where we occasionally will take a topic and we'll uh, just really just go through the whole darn thing. We've done that with the Beatles. We've done that with Tintin. And we've done that with uh, uh, Marx Brothers movie. Well, we haven't done it. We're in the process of it. You're right. joining us on that trip. Uh, hopefully you'll be around for a while. Last week we did the coconuts. Uh, today we are doing animal crackers. Yes. Uh, so uh, if you, I was going to say like, if you don't want it spoiled, but how can you have it spoiled? You know, you really can't. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie, eh, maybe see the movie first, then listen to this. Or if you choose to, just listen to this and then see the movie. I really don't think we're going to ruin it for you. No, I don't think we can spoil. I don't a think Marx I don't film. think the plots in the Marx Brothers yeah, movies are a real really. big uh, yeah. motivator for uh, people seeing them. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like, whoa, that happened. They're there to be what they are, and they are. A painting was stolen. I got to see that movie. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> what? A uh, plot. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, you saw the play. Don't tell me anything about it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go through the uh, movie. David is uh, more of a uh, an expert on Marx Brothers. Uh, things than i am uh i make my living as a comedian i wouldn't say an expert oh i thought you were gonna say I, I, i'm not much of a comedian i thought that's <laughs> the way you were going i was like that is a very cruel way to start the, sh the show uh that. together david and i also uh have put together a book that's out right now well depending on when you're listening to the show from scholastic called sparks uh it's a comedy kids book uh, and uh, we have worked together uh, off and on on both the Sneaky Dragon podcast and many other things uh, since we were in high school together. Yes. Many projects. Many. many. So many failures. <laughs> Let's see how this one goes. But anyway, that's the general gist. Dave uh, is, is a uh, kind of a deep cut Marx Brothers guy. Yep. I'm more of a surface, hey, enjoyable. But I haven't watched all the movies, so I am looking forward to doing that. Now, have you seen all of the Marx Brothers movies? Yes. All of them. All of them. Very yes. good. But I, I, um, I haven't seen many of them for a very long time. Mm, okay. Because they're on television. And, uh, and I only recently got the, the MGM collection of, of movies. I've had the, I've had the Paramount collection, what we're watching currently, Horse Fet, um, sorry, um, The Coconuts, Animal Crackers, etc., up to Duck Soup. I've had that for a long, long time. But I, for whatever reason, wasn't all that keen or that motivated to get the MGM ones. We're like, I'll see them when they're on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, when they show up on TCM, I'll watch them. But uh, I, I did get them for this show, so nice. I'm looking forward to well, going I'd, through those. I'd like to thank uh, one of our Sneaky Dragon listeners who uh, gave us the really fast heads up that they a couple of the movies were on Turner Classic. Uh, movies last week. I mm. found out that information an hour before they were going on. Okay. So I was able to uh, DVR those and save myself a trip to the library, which is uh, how I'm getting most of these movies. So thank you, Lane. Yeah, thanks, Lane. Uh, and uh, before we get started, is there anything general you want to say about this movie before we go into a deep dive? Uh, no, I think, well, do you want me just to kind of set it up? And then we'll then we'll start talking the movie. Well, I'll say I'll say the one thing that I that I they found about this movie that was to me this movie was a uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yes, like it was very good. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, spoilers there. I enjoyed this film. <laughs> cool. um, it, it it did one of those things that's an odd thing for me uh, that a musical does, which it feels like it had the it's it feels like it started as more of a musical than it ended as, mm -hmm. and then about halfway through it forgot it was that, and you still got 
musical scenes. Yeah. But it starts with things like everyone's speaking in verse. Mm-hmm. And all the characters are singing. Yeah. And characters that will never sing again are yeah. singing. Yeah. And, uh, and then they just like, that's done. We're done with that. <laughs> and then they, they go into just let the Marx Brothers mm. be the Marx Brothers. Yeah. And the Marx Brothers kind of take over everything. And, and there you are. And they throw out all the, uh, you know, uh, structure of a musical. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't and, a bad thing to do. I think if you're going to do this mm-hmm. kind of thing, especially as a play, starting it off looking like as proper a play as possible, I'm sure the orchestra swelled. I'm sure they played songs. And then when uh, people come out and they're starting to sing, it's like, oh, this is a... And then when the Marx Brothers come out, everything just goes uh, crackers. Yeah, yeah. Animal crackers, to be honest. So, you, well, you're right. Because this the play the, 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 that Animal Crackers is based on, the Broadway play that they started to do after the Coconuts. So once again, it was written by George S. Kaufman and Maury Riskind. And this time, Riskind took credit... Uh, he didn't take full, he didn't take any credit for writing on the coconuts because he felt he hadn't written enough to okay. deserve full Wasn't credit. Wasn't there four uh, authors of the play and then two authors of the of, no. the, of the screenplay? Are you talking about coconuts or? Oh, talking I'm about? talking about Animal Crackers. Animal Crackers, no. Once again, it was the book was written by George S. Kaufman and Maury Riskin. Okay. Bert Kalmar and Harry Ruby, who are also are on there, were um the they wrote the music. For okay. It. And they were they were. Basically, well, let's just talk about the fact sure. that so the the play. So once the coconuts was done, uh, and what's interesting, you know, the coconuts ran for quite a while. It was about two and a half years that it ran on Broadway, and then then they took it out on the road and tra- toured around what remained of vaudeville with a kind of. Uh, I mean, they toured the full show because I know they toured the full show, but then they also toured like a kind of a, a portmanteau of it. Mm-hmm. Basically, they took the sort of scenes. Uh, they took the last, final scene of it. And combined it with some other scenes from other works that they, or other plays they'd done. Would they tour with or, the full cast of uh... Uh, whoever they needed for the scene? Yeah, they toured with a huge with cast. Like a when chorus they... and whatnot. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, they toured like that for years. They All had right. like a huge because uh, uh, Mini Marks um, it actually had started like basically like a chorus girl farm, uh, and I don't know if it was like to keep the boys at home. So they weren't, their hands weren't wandering in places where, the, but so they could have like their own farm. I have no idea. Like she had her okay. own. She had this chorus girl, like training academy or whatever to, okay. to make train, to chorus girls. I'm now thinking like shows. a movie called Chorus Girl Farm would have done quite yeah, well. Yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> Pre Hayes, I would hope. Pre Hayes mm. office. Uh, the, um, the, yeah. And so like they, cause they needed like a huge cast of people for, for their reviews and stuff. They, they were like spectac- spectac- spectacular spectacles. Mm. Like with lots of dancing and singing, right. and and it wasn't just Marx Brothers goofing around, or just Marx Brothers playing their instruments. They had other specialty acts that would tour with them as well, and the shows would be this long string of of you know um, sketches or a story, a very loose story strung along with with dancing and singing and specialty dances and and you know the specialty pieces of like. Chico on piano, or Harpo and Chico on piano, and Harpo and harp, and things, and Groucho singing, and all kinds of stuff like that, you know. So, so yeah, so the idea of touring something like coconuts would have not been that shocking, but you know, basically what they tried to do was was make make it into something that would be entertaining to people in a small smaller way, because vaudeville you couldn't do like a whole huge coconuts show right. as part of a vaudeville. Now, do they? Sorry, do they do coconuts uh, live, then the film, and then Animal Crackers live, then the film? Or no, they go? were they were performing Animal Crackers while they filmed the coconuts. Okay. So coconuts was shot whenever they were available. So if they had a if they had a day that had a um, a matinee performance, they weren't available for filming that day. Mm. So they would only be there for days where they had daytime off, and wow. then they would do their show at night. Okay, that's very confusing having to have both those in your hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I wonder if that maybe explains part of why the coconuts has a bit of a stilted feel to it. But they did do rehearsals for it before they started filming just to get, get it back, you know. Yeah. Whereas Animal Crackers feels a w- way sharper. But part of that was because, um, when they did, what's interesting actually is when the Marx Brothers had signed to Paramount, there was like some kind of weird, like release that they're going to make three movies in, th- in three months or something like that. Like a three, oh, okay. or a movie every three months. <laughs> okay. And the Marx Brothers like, three yeah. movies in three months. The Brothers okay. Are like, no, All right. that's not, not going to happen. Mm. But I mean, you can do it. Here's it's the not thing. Be good. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like production schedules were a lot different in the silent era than they sure. were in the sound era because it took less time to do, make sound, silent films than it did to make a sound movie. Yeah. I would because also think the technology like, was simpler. Yeah. I would also think it's like how much, how many gags do you have in the can already ready mm. to go? Yeah. You know, if you've had your whole career, of like doing live performances then maybe you could like crank out a whole bunch really really fast sure but a lot of their i mean let's face it a lot of their material was recycled year you know from review to review of course it was so you know the knife dropping sequence is like in three different things and you know a lot of the school high school antics were transported in various ways into other stuff that they were doing so you know they kind of recycled things and kept the material they kept it fresh by changing settings or where it was placed and stuff like that and you know the marx brothers were creative so they had a way of making it entertaining each time mm-hmm. but you know the difference between having to feed a, a monster like movies and having to feed a monster like vaudeville is a lot different because vaudeville you know there could be a guy like there's this bicycle performer named joe jackson who did his bicycle act his entire career he didn't change it at all he just Mm -hmm. did the same thing every year but it was fine because he went from place to place and when he came back around again people were like oh that was really good last time i saw it two years ago or whatever so they were fine seeing it again i know uh, when i when i used to stand up there was a guy who would do a harley davidson impression and that was like his thing he would just tour around the country yeah and it was like that was enough of a novelty and he was the harley guy yeah there you go yeah yeah and then he'd do a bunch of stock jokes as well but the big thing was they yeah. incorporate harley davidson's quite often into his yeah, yeah. into his thing yeah. vaudeville uh, exists in its own way still to this day though they don't call it that yeah 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 so um this play was once again it was produced by sam harris mm-hmm. so and he basically just you know wanted to repeat the formula so it had the same director had the same choreographer had the same writers the only difference was irving berlin was out which is a weird thing to say you're out of here berlin mm-hmm. <laughs> no good but it was really, I think, I don't think Berlin wanted to, I don't think he was that pleased with what his efforts. And I don't think he thought it was a suitable sure. match because what he want, what he wrote was, you know, he was writing for a straight play and his songs are really straight. Like when you watch the coconuts, when they're, the songs are going on in that play, that, or the movie, that's just like time to sleep. It's a little time to have a, have a rest and then you can wake up again when something mm-hmm. is happening. Whereas in, so when, when they started this film, because Kaufman had worked with, uh, these two songwriters named Burt Kalmar and Harry Ruby, uh, he did a play called Helen of Troy, New York, uh, in 1923, and they collaborated on it together, and it was a pretty good success. So he's like, well, I know these guys who are really good, and they're really funny. Um, we should bring them on this, and their style will probably suit this, what we're, you know, what we're doing better. And because, um, so, um, Burt Kalmar, like, he had been in vaudeville a long time. He ran away when he was 10 years old from home. And to join a traveling show, like a tent show, as a magician. And then he kind of graduated out of that into vaudeville and was, you know, kind of a master of, you know, kind of a dancer, singer, whatever you needed, a comedian, kind of, you know. And uh, he, um, uh, Harry Ruby was, well, he actually wanted to be a professional baseball player. But mm. when, when that didn't go through for him, because it's hard to become a professional baseball player. Sure. Uh, he um, went into vaudeville. Just ask Castro. Yes, there you go. Yeah, you could go into vaudeville, or you could go into being a dictator. 
Yeah. You, yeah. Either way, you have a chip. Those are your two choices. You the only real on choices. <laughs> yeah. Chip on your shoulder. Yeah. You got to prove it to someone. Uh, and so he was, because he was athletic, he could do, he was kind of a crazy dancer. Okay. And, you know, kind of a, a specialty dancer, they were called. Uh, like Buddy Epson was a specialty dancer. All right. Because he was a tall, gangly guy. So he could do a very weird kind of dance. And that got you through vaudeville. And so, uh, and he was also in Gus Edwards, one of the many touring groups of Gus Edwards high school, you know, school days kind of thing that the Marx Brothers, you know, kind of ripped off lock, sock and barrel to create their own sure. high school fun thing. Uh, just, they just do it the other side of the country and it's fine. You know, no one steps yep. up to this feet. Uh, and so then later he worked as an assistant to Irving Berlin, uh, worked for Berlin's publishing company and was kind of a song plugger. And then, uh, he had met Kalmar, um, you know, in vaudeville and through this and that. And, uh, so he got him a job with, uh, Berlin's publishing company writing lyrics. And then they realized, like, they really gelled and they started writing together. And, uh, they've written, they wrote a lot of songs. They wrote a lot of songs. But, um, you know, a lot of them are, have gone away. But some of them we still, we still, uh, know, like, I want to be loved by you. Sure. It's pretty, still, yeah, you could sing that song because Marilyn yeah. Monroe sang it. Sure. Are you asking me to? No, I'm saying people could. I'm not saying you could. I'm just saying you, like, okay. a, an impersonal. Look like you're really setting me up there to sing. Yeah, that. I want you to sing Well, that okay, here we go. <laughs> I want to be, okay, go ahead. Please continue. <laughs> Well, that's pretty good. I can do it. Yeah. Um, they wrote a song called Three Little Words, which is kind of like their big song. And then also. What were the three little words? Were they I Love You? Uh, no. By War Bonds? It's, uh, it, yeah. Wouldn't have been then. It's in between wars. Yeah. It was actually the name of a biopic about them that starred uh, Fred Astaire. Oh, and, nice. And uh, Danny Kaye, who looked nothing like Calmar and Ruby. <laughs> A little bit, maybe. You put glasses on for this theory, maybe. All right. You talked yourself um, out of it. Well done. And also, Who's Sorry Now? Oh, okay. Most famous, yeah. the K- Connie Francis covered yep. it much later, but that's another song. So, yeah, they wrote, you know, so, um, like, Groucho didn't know them, but he really liked their songs. And so, one day, he went by their publishing company just to visit them and, you know, you know, just tell them how much he liked their songs and stuff like that. And then they became good friends. And uh, actually, he and Harry Ruby were, like, were longtime friends, like, long, long-time friends. Um, so... Like I said, they worked with um, Kaufman on a play that Kaufman and Mark Connolly wrote called Helena Troy, New York. And then uh, when it was decided that Berlin, whether it was mute, you know, whether mute, whether it was he was pushed or, or jumped, <laughs> when Irving Berlin didn't come back, uh, he, they thought that Kalmar and Ruby would be a perfect fit for the for the play. And actually, we're going to hear a lot more about Kalmar and Ruby, so I don't want to say too much more about them because they actually worked for the Marx Brothers for quite a long time after, right. after this. So we'll we'll they'll we'll visit them again. But they also if you guys are real Ruby heads. Don't worry about it. We're gonna, <laughs> we're going to touch on that. Kalmarians, Kalmarites, Kalmaris. That's what they call them. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think that's the name of a race in Star Wars. Kalmari? Yeah, I think that's uh, Admiral Akbar is one of them. <laughs> He's a Kalmari? Yeah, that's for our Star Wars podcast. We're going to do that later. <laughs> okay. Let's not cross streams. That's for our Ghostbusters podcast. Yeah. Let's continue. We're going to watch all of the uh, Star Wars films backwards. It's going to be called Sra Rats. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, they also wrote for other people, too, which is kind of interesting because they wrote this movie called uh, Check and Double Check, which was an Amos and Andy vehicle. Okay. Which is like, you'll never see. Unless maybe maybe you can find it on YouTube. I don't know, but I'm it, sure. I'm sure it's it, ha- it stars the original uh, guys who did uh, Amos and Andy. Oh, in blackface. Freeman. Uh, what was the names? Uh, Charles Carell and Freeman. So are they in blackface? Freeman Gostin. Yeah, Freeman Gostin. Okay. Yeah, they're in blackface. Okay. Yeah, like it has Duke Ellington in it, mm-hmm. and like there were guys in Duke Ellington's band who were too light skinned, and so they the producers didn't want to make it look like there were um, 
the there were like light skinned people in Duke Ellington's band, so they made them like also wear black blackface. Wow. One guy was Puerto Rican, the other guy was like Creole. Yeah. And so they had to wear blackface. It's horrible. It's horrible. Like every every which way. What a horrible time. Yep. Uh, but yes, uh, they did write the screenplay for that film. And then they wrote uh, a couple of screenplays for uh, Wheeler and Woolsey, who are uh, kind of a comedy team. Sure. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're, they're, I've heard of them. They're okay. It's kind of it's kind of old, you know? Like when you watch it, you're kind of like, hmm, people... Also, comedy doesn't age well quite often. It's very it's... rare that comedy ages well, especially if it's topical. Well, that's... that's Yeah, and they're not topical, but it's... Yeah, it's very... It's very... um Yeah, it's very low-key. I'm going to say, I think, I think something like the Marx Brothers ages well, uh, because it's not one type of comedy. It's so many different, uh, types that as it goes through the different eras, uh, whatever, whatever works for that era mm. is, uh, works. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and there you go. So you, so you continue. But if you're just one type of thing, if you're mm. a Henny Youngman, it's rough when people don't buy the one thing that you do. <laughs> And then they wrote, uh, when, uh, so I was going to say the, the, uh, Wheeler and Woolsey was one's called Hips, Hips, Hooray, <laughs> which I can only imagine involves a lot of women. Okay. And then another one called Kentucky Colonels, K-E-R. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. They did a lot of, they were, I was going to say. I'm glad you told me, but I, I yeah. I was going to say there was kind of a rural element to their humor that I think was popular at that time when there was way, a way bigger rural population sure. than there is now. Yeah. There's a lot of people. They want to see themselves. Mm-hmm. That's why Hee Haw's mm-hmm. been on so long. <laughs> I don't even know if Hee Haw's still on. I was going to say, is it still on? I, you know, tell me it's not. Tell me, tell me you know that it's not on right now. Yeah. Yeah, don't you don't know. How could we know? But, uh, and yet, it's, it, it, I tell you, it's been on for more than a couple of decades. Once again, when we do our podcast where we watch it all backwards. That's right. Wah-ee. <laughs> we will. Yeah. <laughs> then we'll be doing our Red Rum Murder podcast. We're going to get a lot of stuff backwards. I'm not sure why we're doing this, but fair enough. It's the newest thing. People, people remember it. And so then they also did an Eddie Cantor film. And actually, Eddie Cantor is a, is a comedian from that time period that I have a lot of time for. I really do like him a lot. And uh, they wrote The Kid for, from Spain for him. And even though those movies are not anywhere near as good as a Marx Brothers film, the Calma and Ruby do successfully bring a certain touch of Marx, Marxian madness to them a little bit. There's one, like, the kid from Spain, there's a scene where he's trying to cross the border. In order to prove that he's from Mexico, he has, like, this picture, uh, like a photograph mm-hmm. of his, of, of his farm. <laughs> and so then the guard's looking at it, and this is a blank picture. And he goes, this is the, uh, this is a picture of my cow on my farm. And he's like, uh, well, or this is a picture of, like, my corn farm with my cow, right? Or something like yeah. that. And then the guy's like, well, where's the cow? Oh, well, he, the cow ate all of, ate all the corn. <laughs> well, where's the corn? Well, the cow ate it all. He laughed, you know, this is, the, <laughs> yeah. it's just a blank picture, right? This is nonsense thing. So that kind of stuff that they were, you know, that kind of stuff that wasn't normal in pictures of that time period, they kind of brought, brought to it, but they couldn't bring it all the way because, you know, people, no one, no one can be the Marx Brothers, let's face nope. it. Nope. Uh, so I gotta, I'm gonna tell you the Later bath- on, even the Marx Brothers, maybe. So there's a little story which uh, we'll call the bathrobe story. Uh, and this revol- this involves Harry Ruby, who, um, he, uh, well, he, all the Marx Brothers and him and Burke Helmar all decided they're going to go in together on buying each other birthday presents. So they'd all put in 10 bucks and get these really nice bathrobes. Mm. And so they did this for a year and then it came around to Harry Ruby's birthday. And at this point, everyone had decided, except for Harry Ruby, they were tired of this. They didn't want to do it anymore. And so they weren't going to buy him a bathrobe. And so he was really, he was like, obviously like, well, wait, like yeah. I put in my 10 bucks over and right. over again. Where's my bathrobe? So this? I'm assuming at this point he's nude. He's <laughs> waiting on his bathrobe. <laughs> so there was, there was a, a performance of, um, animal, animal crackers. Yeah. And there's a scene where, where Grocho as, as, uh, Captain Spaulding, Spaulding gets this trunk and it's full of gifts. 
And so they open it up on stage, and Harry Ruby stands up and goes, where's my bathrobe? <laughs> and then storms off, and even Groucho was nonplussed. He had no, he had no response for it. He just, yeah. He never did get the bathrobe, though. Oh, man. It's rough. <laughs> so what's interesting, uh, Maury Riskin said about writing Animal Crackers that he said, we followed the formula that George had devised for the coconuts, which is five large comedy scenes. George referred to them as block scenes strung together by musical numbers. Okay. So that was the play. All right. That was the play. He also said there's a difference between writing a play and writing a vehicle for the Marx Brothers. When you write a play, you just write the thing and find the actors for the parts. But with the Marx Brothers, you have to write for their characters. Yes. So you're very writing a very specific character. And what's interesting about Coffin and Riskin, I think, is how natural their dialogue feels when the when the Marx Brothers are speaking. Like there's a lot of times where you it's almost like Groucho is just making it up. And in fact, Riskin's sister read the the read the original stage play like stage play for for Animal Crackers before they went to the show. And she said to Riskin afterwards, she said, "If I hadn't read this this the stage like if I hadn't read your script before I saw the play, I would have thought Groucho was making it all up." Right. Because he had because Groucho had such a natural. Uh, delivery, but also they m- made it seem natural. Now, would there ever be uh, ad libs Groucho would make and then they incorporate it into the script? And that yeah, would be- there there were ad libs and and things like that uh, that do come into the into the script. And we'll talk about it as as we go. There's some things I can think about, but I'd like to. We'll 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 get there and we'll talk right. about it. That's weird. You want to do this in order when you want to do everything backwards. Otherwise, <laughs> fair enough. Well, You're a complicated man, David. Yeah. Yeah. This is not called Zrak Zram. Oh, uh-huh. I was wondering if you're gonna try it. <laughs> It's really tough when it starts with an X. Bless hard. your heart for giving it a shot. <laughs> it was hard. It's too hard. I I fell apart there. Uh, so even though, it, like, when you think, okay, the, the Marx Brothers are going to make another movie, what are they going to make? They're going to make Animal Crackers. Actually, that wasn't the first mo- first thought. Actually, the next film was supposed to be written by Ben Hecht, who, um, with his writing partner, um, uh, Charles. MacArthur, I think it's the name. Anyway, he wrote the front page. You know the, the movie? Yep. The front page. And it was later remade as His Girl Friday. Yep. Yeah. Both good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what Ben Heck was kind of famous for. He'd written other things too, Underworld and things. But um, he, uh, the reason that they w- were going in that direction was because they actually, they didn't own Animal Crackers. They had signed the Marx Brothers, but they didn't own the vehicle Animal Crackers. So, but very quickly they kind of got that out of the way. And th- right. then that became like the next film they were going to do. Uh, so once they decided they were going to do Animal Crackers, it was still on, it was still like, it was actually touring on the road at this point. So Riskin went along and he had a notebook and he had the script in his lap and he would watch the show. And whenever audience attention or enjoyment kind of seemed to flag a little bit, he would mark it in the, he'd mark it in the script and mark it in his notebook. Yeah. Where to take things out, you know, because they, because when they did the coconuts, they basically filmed the play and then they cut it down in the editing room. And so they didn't want to do that this time because, yeah. because you can kind of feel that yeah. they would make it sort of It does seem like a film play. Yeah. yeah. And so this time they wanted to have a movie. And so, but here, so, you know, he made his, he, you know, he made his choices. But then the interesting thing is, is the director, Victor Herman, disagreed with what Riskin wanted to do. Because what Riskin wanted to do was cut out the comedy and keep the musical numbers and kind of even it out. Oh. And Herman, his thing was his, I just want the comedy scenes. I don't want any music in this movie. That was Herman's view okay. of it. Okay. And what Herm and what Herman did was he shot some test scenes of just the comedy stuff, put them together, brought in like a kind of test audience into the studio, and they and of course it was way better that way because it just it's a knockout. This is all these comedy scenes in a row, and the Marx Brothers were there and you know they heard all the laughter and so they were just like oh yeah music out, and basically um, 
it was it, Ruskin was just felt that they were lucky to get like the amount they did, like the little the snippet at the beginning of the butler and maid scene. Yeah. And then what I think does set up the character well, the hooray for Captain Spaulding stuff, I think mm-hmm. is really good. But you don't really need anything else. And I would prefer that that song, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it was written strictly for the film. It actually wasn't the, in the play. The lover song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is so sad. I, I feel that way generally. About yeah. Those, yeah. Sure. I mean, look, at some point, people want to go to the bathroom, I guess. So it's a good thing to have. <laughs> and sometimes you want to cleanse the palate. I can see how you'd want to do that. Or yeah. maybe there's something. Uh, here's the other thing. It's like, not everything is to everyone's taste. So you go there with... Someone who maybe doesn't get the jokes. Yeah. And so yeah. they're feeling like, I don't like this movie. And then what, what do you get? You got a nice little musical number. Well, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You're going to enjoy it. I'm, I'm again it, but uh, I can see how someone, someone would be a for it. Yeah. 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 So just the nature of where, <laughs> by the way, let me just say, oh, no one has ever uh, done or will do. And I say this and now someone will do it. Go like, you know, what's the best of the Marx Brothers movies? The musical numbers. And then just put all those together and just go like, here's, a, here's all the, all the greatest love songs from the Marx Brothers movies. All those ones that you, mm, you remember yeah. so much those that are always in uh, humming, humming mm-hmm, along. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I think though, if you, if you strung together, Hooray for Captain Spaulding. Oh, you're talking the funny songs. Yeah, the funny, funny songs. Funny songs, yes. Everyone says I, I mean, love you. I mean, obviously, the funny song. Like, Hail Fredonia. Hooray et cetera, for Captain Spaulding became a signature song. Yeah, yeah. To the point where, like, that was also for, like, You Bet Your Life. That was his song. Right. Anytime right. he'd come out on stage, he would, uh, that song would play. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I'm yeah. talking the, you know, the ones I'm, I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The I Will Love You Forever I songs. I do. Uh, so, yeah, Victor Herman was, what's in, like, okay, so, when uh, the coconuts was going to be filmed, the, the the intention was actually for the Marx Brothers to go to California. Paramount had a fire at their studio and it was quite damaged, and so they couldn't use it. So a bunch of equipment was transported out to New York to the kind of mostly defunct Astoria Studios. Western Electric was brought in to to wire it and get it all ready for sound, wired for sound, mm-hmm. and um, so they that you know the coconuts was filmed there. I think Animal Crackers was filmed there more, mostly more of habit. Hmm. The Marx Brothers were an East East Coast based, you know, people with fam. You know, they lived in around in and around New York, sure. And so it was just more convenient for them to film there, and so the, and it was already up and running. So Victor Herman was brought out from California and came out. He had actually worked for Max Sennett, so he had experience in comedy. But he quickly realized that the comedy was done. They didn't need him to like shape the comedy, you know, edit the comedy, have any idea. You know, so basically he was just brought in to be like the iron fist because the Marx Brothers had run, you know, roughshod over everyone during the coconuts. Uh, and so he was brought in basically as the kind of like, let's, you know, let's get the Marx Brothers attention on this movie. Let's like have, you know, regularly long shooting days, blah, blah, blah. And so that's, that was sort of what he was brought in for. Um, he did edit the film. Mm-hmm. So he did, you know, shape it in, in a big did way. They, uh, did they respect him? Or is there any way of knowing? It's hard to know. I'm not sure. Was he um, a successful fist? <laughs> I mean, if they were, if they were objective, they would have to say what he did was successful. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of of translating the stage play onto the screen, if they were objective. And I don't know if their experiences on the film, because they didn't really enjoy sh- making movies. Uh, and I think that's a pretty regular feeling of people who have experience in the stage world sure. to go into a, a very kind of sterile yeah. pl- place like movies where it's everything's broken down into little moments rather than a big, big, a big thing that you can kind of have the feelings and the dynamics are there in front of you. Whereas with a movie, the dynamics are in the mind of the director because he's the one who sees the shape of everything. Right. And you do things so often that you probably don't find them funny anymore. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
now, Lillian Roth, who played Arabella Rittenhouse, the uh, Margaret Dumont's daughter in the movie, okay, uh, described a typical shooting day in her book, I'll Cry Tomorrow. And she said that Zeppo was the first to arrive each morning at around 9.30. Half an hour later, a call would be made to awaken Chico, or Chico. Harpo would arrive, find nobody around, and disappear to his dressing room for a nap. Chico's appearance would generally coincide with the discovery of a sleeping Harpo. Finally, Groucho, still equipped for an early round of golf, would, would arrive and ask if to say, anybody for lunch? <laughs> they would all agree. So then they would all go out for lunch. So generally, the work was done. <laughs> They're like, no work would get done, except from mid-afternoon to 5 p.m. when they insist on going home. So then the day was over at 5. Sounds good. I like it. Yeah. So that was a shooting day. If you can, ma- if you can make that work, I'm all for it. Yeah. It was like it, a great shooting day. What's interesting with Lillian Roth was that she was a pretty successful actress. She had been signed to an eight-picture deal to Paramount. But she had been loaned out to Cecil B. DeMille for this movie called Madam Satan. And, and it's not as great as it sounds. Mm-hmm. But Madam Satan, I don't know if you've ever seen is it. Is there a Mr. Satan? There, there <laughs> isn't. It's more, of a, it's more of like a kind of a what would you call it it's kind of a, a farce kind of like a european mm. romantic farce kind of thing like ernst lubitsch or or um what's that other director who oh he's also he's in he plays max in 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 sunset boulevard oh okay all right please everyone please scream his name at me so yeah. i can hear you over yeah, and i just internet. saw sunset boulevard so this is very bad you should know who, I should. who he was i should you we all know who he, he was is. a german director anyway yeah and, uh, and he directed these films with a certain type of 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 uh kind of farce romantic farce with a lot of cheating like adulterous relationships and things like that yeah. and this this is what madam satan satan was but there was a scene where where uh the characters were expected to parachute and lillian roth decided she didn't want to have to parachute like actually you parachute. Yeah, yeah wow like she objected to this and that and then she was doing another film with a comedian who uh made an anti-semitic comment to her because mm. she was jewish yeah and uh she object- about how jewish people don't like parachuting yeah exactly right <laughs> And she, uh, and she, um, once again, she refused to work with him. All right. And so then it was decided that she was difficult. Mm. And so she was sent back east to work with the Marx Brothers. So she doesn't like uh, anti-Semitism yeah. or, or jumping from a mile high in the air. <laughs> yeah. man, I don't know if it's a mile high. Man, is she... Well, what's it matter? Mm-hmm. If you jump from half a mile high, it's the same result. Probably seems as dangerous. Yeah. Uh, wow, is she hard to work with as an actor? Yeah, yeah. Now those seem very reasonable. So she was. Uh, this was her. This was her punishment. Was have to come out and work on this movie, Animal Crackers. Oh, okay. The funny thing is, is she actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Good. She really enjoyed it. And what is she known for now? Is she known for Madam Satan or any other movies yeah. that she made? I no. mean, we've all we 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 don't stop talking about that parachuting scene. Well, we don't. We don't. We don't. It also we, feels we like we don't start talking about it, so we never stop. That's talking right. About it it right. feels like back in the day, it probably wasn't that safe to be doing that anyway parachuting not, back then yeah i'm not sure of the whole, no i'm gonna bet no i'm not sure if it was like on wires that they had to parachute down who knows though it is yeah, all right you know what she even is, so she not safe uh, she didn't want to do it yeah. no there's a reason we all know buster keaton and that's because he <laughs> could do the things i'm sure many people buster keaton did, didn't do well so so herman's solution to control the marx brothers was to assign each of them their own assistant director ah. and that person's only job was to make sure that the Marx Brothers were on the set sure. when shooting was supposed to start. Yeah. And that was their job. So they would have to convince the other Marx Brothers that the other Marx Brothers were somewhere around. So when they came in, if they couldn't see anyone, they'd be like, oh, no, Harpo's here. He's just blah, blah, blah. No, no, Chico's here. He's just, you know, on the phone, probably phoning his bookie. Yeah. You know, trying to set up a poker game or whatever, you know. So, uh, yeah, that was... And then there's 
there's a kind of a, a long-standing rumor that that the Marx Brothers were locked in like jail cells by Herman during the shooting <laughs> to keep them in keep them, which is not true. Right. There was a jail cell that was made, but it was kind of like a jokey big giant just dressing room thing that had it was called the uh, Animal Crackers Huskow. Yeah, and it had like little cells in it, but there was no they weren't locked. They were just like made to look like it oh, was a jail. That's a pretty good joke. And so they, you know. And so the Marx Brothers, because this place they could go have the nap or, or you know, yeah. have their makeup done or whatever between shooting. Um, that was the idea of it anyway. So uh, the principal photography for the film was finished by June, but Harpo actually had glandular fever and had to go to the hospital. No. And so the very last sequence that was filmed for the movie was his harp solo that was filmed in July. After oh, okay. he recovered. By the way, we, we apologize for all the sirens that go by. We record this show, as we've said before, in the middle of the street. Yes. We are not a rich podcast. <laughs> but we're fair. And we pass the savings on to you by making this free. So that's what you get. Occasionally you will get an ambulance going by. And we yeah. wish that person the best. We hope they'll be good. Uh, maybe they have glandular fever. Yeah. So so that's kind of the back. Can you see that he had, was he well when he was doing the, the harp? Uh, he looks okay. And yeah. To me, I don't think he looks that much different. Okay. Uh, I don't think he looks that much different, but yeah, I think he's recovered enough that he's he can play the harp. Interestingly, for uh, Animal Crackers, they had to change Harpo's wig to blonde because uh, the red showed up as too dark in the coconuts. They felt like it looked oh, like he had okay. looked like a brunette rather than a fiery red. It's good hair. at one point that they mentioned it's a red hair. You know that they yeah, find. that's it's right. Like, well, yeah. that's clearly him. It's yeah, like, yeah. well, thanks for letting us know. In the black white movie, <laughs> I have no idea what color his hair is. Yeah, I guess the movie posters would show him with the, you know because they were in I, color. Yeah, I remember later uh, like he would appear on some shows like Lucy or some such uh, where it would be in color. Or so, mm. I forget, maybe I that wasn't... I don't think so. It was maybe, the, you're talking about the mirror one. Yeah, that that's not the right one. But okay. he would appear on some other things where it would be in color. Okay. And you'd go, oh, that's a little jarring that it's yeah, red, yeah. the hair. But that was always the color that mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. Because of his, he was an Irish character. Yes. Mm-hmm. But how would you know he's an Irish character uh, when you never hear his voice? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Again, this has one of my... Cause sorry. Re- here, because he had red hair. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm jumping ahead, but then we'll go back again. Sure. Uh, one of my favorite uh, lines in this is where someone's, someone says to uh, Chico, uh, how'd you become Italian? Ah, we don't have time for that. <laughs> and then back into it. Like this big long thing and just like this offhanded line, like, how'd you become Italian? And and yeah, like, those are yeah. Th- those are the ones where you're like, was that in the play? Or is that like improvised? Because they yeah, are so... It's acknowledged and just like, yeah. nope, we're not getting, nope. All right, well, let's talk. Let's talk about the movie. I thought this time we could maybe go through the film, sure, and you know we can sort of draw out parts of it that we liked or or make comments about whatever. So the movie opens in a way I think is kind of clumsy, but probably typical of that time period, with a lot of newspaper information. So we don't have anyone. Apparently, it was impossible to have a character who could provide exposition. So you had to have the audience read it. I guess maybe silent films are still a holdover from that time period where people are like, I don't get to read enough movies. Yeah. And you know they, what this movie needs? Reading. And they make you read it real slow. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. But that's the same with like, that's the same with the title card, like the inter, yeah. the intertitles in silent films. <laughs> what I like about it is read it like three times. You're like, is, what if heck? I'm remembering it correctly, and I did watch it uh, five hours ago, um, <laughs> is it's a newspaper story. Yeah. And it's like, uh, this painting is being shown. This amazing painting is yes. being shown at this house. Yeah. So being a newspaper, and it's this amazing news story, let's show you a picture of the house. Mm-hmm. Not a picture of the painting. No, no. At all. Mm-hmm. It's like the amazing, yeah. The Mona Lisa is going to be showing at the Louvre. Here's a picture of the outside of the Louvre and some people lined up to see it. <laughs> no, show the, pa- show the painting. But, but no. I, I, well, I guess the idea, though, is they show the house because that's the setting. 
So yeah. they're, they're setting up the setting of yeah, of the, just of like the in the context of a news story. Yeah, all right. And we'll, then it takes a bit too long on the news of like, oh, we read it. Yeah, and it's like we're reading it again. You don't need to do a close up. It was because it's a, on the yeah. movie screen. It's big. It was timed. It was timed for people of all kind of different educational levels to to read a read a film. So in time. the what would you say like in the play? How would they would they would they have sang that information? I think that would have been sung because yeah. there was a long opening sequence of the maids and the butler. Singing like a a long thing about about the people that they were. That's for. what it felt like. Yeah, it felt like yeah. they cut something off the top mm-hmm. and just went. Let's just tell it to them. Yeah, tell it to them, and now we're now we're in. So yeah, so it opens obviously, and then we so we're going to learn that society matron Mrs. Rittenhouse, played by Margaret Dumont, the great Margaret right. Dumont, who I think is even greater in this film than she is in in uh, the Coconuts. Mm-hmm. Like her her reactions in this film. Oh, are she's priceless. got it. They're, they're priceless. She, uh, no, she's got it. Like, she, uh, but but it does again. Start if we're going a little farther back. That's okay. It starts with the um, the head, uh, not the head butler, but uh, you know, uh, Hives. I think is Hives. Is Hives, Hives yeah, yeah. yeah, which is a funny name. Uh, but uh, singing, you know, they're they're coming. It's going to be proper. He's singing it all, and the the chorus going. We're going to give them what they all deserve. Yeah, and it's like okay, yeah, that's yeah. a fun start. It feels very sure. uh, merry melodies, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And it's important to it's important to note actually that when animal crackers was made into a film it was made post the you know the great depression it's made as the great depression was starting that's when animal crackers was filmed like so this kind of humor this kind of poking fun at the rich yeah the stiffs it would have been really yeah the stiffs like this had a certain element of wish fulfillment to it sure of, of yeah they're not so great yeah we're kicking the legs sure, out from under them sure I, sure i'm in line to get soup <laughs> yeah. but one know. thing i did like about the set that just bothered me again for safety reasons. Yeah. Is uh, it makes it makes sense for comedy, but yeah. it's like, oh, those are amazing stair stair staircases that have no banisters at mm. all. Yeah. There's nothing safe about these whatsoever. People yeah. would fall to so many. Things, but they're great for like a musical number. Yeah, they'd be yeah. great for Harpo running around on them. Yeah, and those were really elaborate sets. Like they're really well well made. Those sets. Mm. But well, back to Margaret Dumont. You're right. Margaret Dumont uh, was the hero of the coconuts to me. She was. Great, but yeah, well, I mean, I was saying besides the Marx Brothers, who are the the obvious yeah. focal point of the movie, she but, uh, she, but she, even the Marx Brothers uh, would at times Groucho would seem to stumble on a line, mm. and they wouldn't they wouldn't fix it in editing. Yeah, yeah. but uh, Margaret Dumont was constantly the wall yeah. that all the jokes bounced off of. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. in this, even more so, and it's a tough one to do because like, how do you play against Groucho when he's flirting? Is she happy about it? Is she upset about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So what, what's the deal? Because well, he's flirting and insulting. He's yeah. He's flinsulting. Right. And she does it so well. But yeah. that would be a very hard thing for an actor to play. Yeah, like, what yeah. uh, what beats do you do this? And what beats yeah, do you oh, do no, that? Yeah, no, no. She does, does great. And she can turn on a dime. And it's just like, oh, that's so flattering. Oh, get away from me. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, stop it. What? Yeah. What is wrong with this man? Right. That's a constant, constant question. So we learned from the paper, of course, that Captain Jeffrey T. Spaulding is returning from Africa. Mm-hmm. And also, as a special treat for guests and Captain Spaulding, <laughs> is that, yes, uh, Roscoe Chandler... The great art, you know, whatever he is, uh, the art collector, it's, yes, who was played by Louis Soren, who uh, was repeating his his role from the stage play. All right, um, will unveil this recently acquired Bogart, this pa- this painting. And is there a, is there a, is that a funniness to the name Bogart at I, the time? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. If, don't Bogart that joint? Was that a popular expression at the time? I don't know. Uh, so it's a funny name, Bogart. It is Bogard. Oh, is it Bogard? Bogard, not yeah. Funny. It's a French. It's a French. Oh, one. it's not funny then. Sorry, uh, my mistake. Well, it was funny when I turned it into Bogart. For that yeah, joint, that's though, what I that, thought it was. That was hilarious. Uh, so what's interesting is, Chan- like, because when 
the movie doesn't have it as 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 clearly as the stage play. The stage play that was very much a riff on Long Island society, Long Island wealthy society. And so like that not only is that like gone in a, in a, you know in a big way, like that doesn't exist anymore. So we're making things being made fun of that doesn't exist so we don't really have connections to what you know specific things about it. So we're we're understanding kind of a broad way, but not the specifics. And the movie does cut out a lot of the specifics that the stage play has. Uh but say like for instance Chandler is a satire on, on the financier and art connoisseur, um, Otto Kahn. Okay. Now, and Kahn, uh, he offended many, many of his peers because he denied that he was Jewish. Mm. You know, and so they do that with Chan, Chandler in the movie. They have that thing where he, they recognize him as, as Czechoslovakian, as, as AB, the, the fish, yeah. the fish guy and stuff like that. And, and they make fun of that. And so, you know, it's kind of the idea that Kahn, who was denying his roots and they're sort of having fun on that. And so, yeah, like the sort of, those sort of jokes were much more obvious in the day, particularly to New York audiences at the time, then they would have, all those sort of in jokes would have been just hilarious or somewhat more understandable than they are to us. And it's good that like Herman's just kind of like, nope, get rid of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, it's not going to play in, it's not going to play in Poughkeepsie. Well, I guess we're playing Poughkeepsie. That's also in New York. Whereas they're not going to play. <laughs> Tell me some Decatur. Sure. They're going to play in Decatur. They're not going to decater to that kind of audience, is what you're saying. (laughs) They did decater to them. I'm going to mail that joke to Chico back Uh, uh, back in the day. There you go, Chico. You can use that one if you want. So yeah. So then we then we cut to to Hives, Mm -hmm. played by Robert Grieg, who uh, once again he's repeating from this his state. He was in the stage version. He's got a very good comedy. He's very good. Oh yeah, very good. He's also in. Sullivan's Travels, the Preston Sturgis film. Good, yeah, playing, I like. I also like, playing a butler. Let me just say, I like Hives as a character, uh, just because he's so dark. Like he starts off as like the very proper, yeah, yeah, you know, and then you're like, the more you hear, the more like this guy's shifty <laughs> to the point where at some point, and again, it's jumping a little bit ahead, yeah, but just like you know, hey, if you need help with that, I keep chloroform or ether or something <laughs> with me at all times. Like, wait, why'd you have? Where are you packing that? <laughs> That's the knockout drop. Well, he didn't take out the gun that he had in the other pocket. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's, you know, you kind of wonder if it's like, it would be very meaningful for people of that time period to be like, oh, it's typical of the help. You know, like, yeah. you just don't know what you're getting. Yeah. So you could, you they'll know, knock you out at any point, rob be, you blind and take off. They got a bad history. Yeah, they yeah. could seem very respectable, but mm-hmm. you know, they, have a, they have a past, you know, or whatever. Uh, so yeah, they sing a song called He's One of Those Men. And I guess that's about Spalding because they're, that's who the, the person they're going to be wel- welcoming. And then, uh, and it's weird. Because then Chandler comes in. So we have Chandler arrive with his Bogart. He makes a big fuss about that. And then uh, and then we get Zeppo arriving. Now I Poor st- Zeppo. <laughs> yeah. I th- that's the thing. I was, I, was, I was going through this. First of all, when you see Zeppo, it's interesting because, like, he does look like you took the three three other Marx Brothers, shoved them together. Yeah. And they look just like him because he looks like each of them in a, in a very different way. But he resembles all of them. Well, here's something for you. What's that? When uh, During the run of Animal Crackers, like, when they were on the road, um, Groucho had a, had a, I think he had like a, a, a appendicitis and had to leave the, the, leave the play for a while. And Zeppo took over his role in it. That does And not, did a great job. That does not shock me. I, I could see him doing Chico as well. I could yeah. see him putting on the hat and yeah, I would yeah. buy him well, as Chico. They did that too. Like Harpo and Chico would quite regularly switch roles. 
Oh, interesting. When they were when they when they're doing on the stage because they would be tired of playing the same thing and that one would do the other's role. Yeah, but Zeppo, uh, I was I was watching this going like, all right, I'm rooting for Zeppo. I hope he gets yeah, something yeah. to do. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he just he does nothing that like uh, anyone just one of the normals uh, could uh, I do. I think he does whenever they go like the four because when they were when I was watching the trailer for this yeah. and the trailer is like the four funniest men in the world. It's like well <laughs> the three funny men and their brother show up okay yeah, he let's wasn't not even, mm, yeah he, find me a joke that zeppo gets well he wasn't even a sharing partner in, in the merck's brothers he he was just on celery he did not get a share of, of, of the profits so yeah. yeah he wasn't even that at that point and yet they they sell it as the four Marx yeah, brothers yeah. and they sold it that way too i mean as a family they were very very close so, sure you know. i, I get but it. i think Zeppo, a joke, yeah. maybe or something. What's interesting about Zeppo was that he was he was basically like a a gangster in in Chicago. Like he was a very bad boy. Like as a teenager, he oh, okay. he was a car thief. He ran around with a rough crowd, and uh, basically part of w- why he ended up on stage was to get him away from that life. Oh, and uh, well, it worked, and it did work. You know, and it's not. You know, once again, kind of like Gummo, it wasn't a life that he chose. Yeah. You know, it was his mom who wanted him to do it, and she just did what the family, what was good for the family business, because Gummo wanted out, so Zeppo, you step in. Yeah, you feel kind of, I mean, his character is so, like, so negligent that he has the same name as the Coconuts. He's Jameson in that one as well. Oh, is that right? Or Jamison. They keep calling him Jamison, which just seems weird to me. Like, it's obviously Jameson. Well, here's, Come on, uh, guys. here's what pronounce I don't understand. It's like, okay. Unless, unless he doesn't like to work, <laughs> or, or he's not a good memorizer or some such. But to me, and I don't know what was attractive back in those days. Yeah. Okay. But to me, I look at him, and then I look at the romantic lead, mm-hmm. and I go, oh, that, well, Zeppo could be the romantic yeah, lead. Yeah. If you want him to be straight, make him the romantic lead. That way, you can also have a scene, some scenes with Groucho and the romantic lead, and you still got your ba- – like, yeah. there's no reason he yeah. can't still take a letter for you and still do that one comedy thing he gets to do. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Why not? But, uh, yeah, he just shows up and kind of gets a good seat for the rest of the show. Well, yeah, the guy, like, the guy who plays John Parker in the film, Hell Thompson – I mean, besides some really weird eyebrows, there's not much to him. Like yeah. that, Zeppo couldn't. Zeppo could do yeah, that just too. Him, uh, Zeppo, uh, Zeppo. As, as part of like the live show, Zeppo would regularly do like a romantic dance bit with what you know with a female sure. cast member, and that was part of you know part of the regular thing that they would do. And Gummo did it, and then he did it. That like, was their like that. I could see if Zeppo, if his thing, like again, sorry, I'm casting Zeppo and and things right now. <laughs> but I'm going like one, make him the romantic lead. Yeah. Two, give him a dance number because mm-hmm. like everyone else is doing music and and patter dance is the one thing that we're leaving out right here, except yeah. for Groucho's silly dances. Have him do a Fred Astaireish little dance, and I'm sure from back in the day, if he worked in vaudeville, he knows how to do it. Yeah. Do a little of that. Yeah, no, Again, the advice I'm giving the past. Yes, that's right. Please write, a, write it in a letter and mail it to 1930s. Yeah, put it in the Lake House <laughs> mailbox and hopefully it gets back to them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, it's, you're, you're right, actually. You're, you're totally right. And, and like, I was going to say, like, the guy who played, like, Hell Thompson, the guy who played John Parker, he wasn't a big name actor. Like, like I could see it if like okay, Lillian Roth had a, had a you know had a reputation sure. had a name she she could bring some cachet to the to the movie, right. but he's a nobody. This uh, Hell Thompson guy like it's not like he had like two kind of attractive actors who would bring in a different you know kind of like you know bring a different demographic to the movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you know the Marx Brothers are this and these guys are this and they're going to bring in this group of people and the other, you know the Marx Brothers are going to bring in this group of people and we're going to have a wider demographic who want to see this movie. That would make sense, you know, if, the, if that's why you're not. Casting Zeppo, 
But it doesn't make that you know he's bringing nothing in this Hell Thompson guy. He's, they had no career yeah. to speak of. He had no career after the movie. Like the you know like what 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 why why anyway. Yeah. What yeah. do we know? Well, that's our pro Zeppo rant <laughs> of the show. We may have more to come in future episodes. So yes. Yeah, so uh, Zeppo arrives. He sings a little song. I represent the captain. Yeah. And then. Uh, we start with Hooray for Captain Spaulding, the, the co- chorus. And of course, this movie was still, like, even though, like, this movie is uh, so many miles ahead of the coconuts te- technologically, or technically, maybe I should say. Uh, you know, really, they'd had a year under their belt of pr- making sound movies by this point. Every possible problem had been confronted, solved, and taken care of. They could actually, you know, move the camera somewhat, yeah. not a lot, but a little bit. Occasionally, they'll do a close-up. They had clo- well, once again, or body, or the body thing is, close-ups. because they they still couldn't dub, so they had live music on 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 the soundstage. So there's an orchestra playing. So if someone's singing or you know if music's playing, it's actually a group that's there playing. Oh, all right. And so they still had to do the same thing where they would they would cut in from different cameras that were filming the same sequence. Okay. If you know what I mean. So they just had a camera that was set for close-up on so and so, and so they'd have to block it out so every you know everything was set up. So then this camera is your your you know kind of getting the the you know it's kind of getting the room or the main part of the the, the image and then we've got a couple cameras set up for for close-ups to that we can cut to and not confuse the 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 already recorded soundtrack so this camera has the same would be you, you know what i mean anyway yep you know what i mean i do uh so then captain spaulding makes his grand entrance great entrance carried carried in a, on a litter or whatever you want to call it uh his by by some uh african na- you know natives uh yeah. Who uh, are have the gall to charge him a dollar eighty five from a trip to Africa? To yeah, well, they 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 went through Australia, which is the roundabout <laughs> way to get there. That's guess, a fair. That's a fair bit. I guess he had a point. Yeah. And then uh, and again, whenever whenever you're like watching an old timey movie, if you have yeah. the feeling of like, oh, where is this going to go? Ah, it wasn't so bad. All right, we're fine. No, I mean that's it's fine. fine. It's a good gag. It's a good gag. It's a good gag. It's fine. And it's Everything's not, it's fine. not demeaning. It's nope. not insulting. It's just it is. It, it is, is what, what it is. is. All right, exactly. and uh, see you later. Yeah, and so uh, weird for them though. Uh, in the play, yeah, if that was the case, and they didn't just have people in blackface in the play, which I'm gonna wonder if they I'd, did. Probably not. I'm. You know what? I bet they would because otherwise you're hiring these four people, yeah. oh, if not six, yeah. to do nothing but carry you down the stairs yeah. and then leave and not be in the rest of the show because you can't be uh, a hotel guest. Yeah. So are you paying people to tour with you that just do that, especially like say you're the two guys in the back who are just walking? Oh, that's possible. You know, holding a flag? Yeah. Like probably not. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bet that uh, that was probably some people in some uh, makeup uh, on the on the tour because that is an expensive why, why make visual it a, why gag. Why make it a negative? It's not a negative. It's because they, uh, they, they, it they toured with a full cast, so I don't see why they wouldn't have those. I mean, you know, the, for money for money had, reasons. Yeah, they had non-speaking parts, so they weren't like an expensive part of the show. I mean, it's possible that they they were. And there. maybe they paid them way less, and it was a, yeah, that yeah. was terrible too. We're just making assumptions. Yeah, at this you're point. Just, you really are. No, Jeez. I'm just really th- whenever I see someone, I who just want to tell you guys that everyone was horrible. No, I don't think it's horrible. I just think like uh, the economics of touring with a huge cast. If you have six people to do one joke. That and now you can't use them for the rest of the show. You might want to see a way of doubling up the cast to save money, unless they didn't care about saving money back in those days. But I feel they probably did, 
And we're and so Captain Spaulding <laughs> okay. has been introduced. Whatever. So then, yeah, Captain Spaulding has been in- introduced, and then sings that great song "Hello, I Must Be Going," which is fantastic. That, yeah, it's uh, great. It goes from it's like my two favorite Marx Brothers songs, like back to back, yeah, like once in yeah. the other. It goes from Captain Spaulding to "Hello, I Must Be Going," which mm-hmm. I thought was a longer song, and I was like, no, it's just just the right length. Yeah, it's yeah, just beautiful. Yeah, I must be going. Right, and the um, and at, the, at this point in the play, the uh, the other hotel goers are still a chorus. Hotel goers. Well, well, there isn't it a hotel? No, it's been written. Written. That's a house. Yeah, it's a house. Oh, for fuck's sake! They're okay. wealthy. This is a Long Island wealthy. All right, set. well, that's just me. I'm I'm getting it wrong. I thought it was some kind of like. Well, it's funny hotel Rick, thing that they were uh, they were showing this thing at. But you're right. It must be a house. So the house was actually she was named after a Philadelphia hotel. Maybe very that's where you're good. Confused. That's where this you're is, confused. This is my mistake, and I'm probably getting a bit of the coconuts mixed up in here. <laughs> well, anyway, the chorus uh, at this point are still singing. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're fully. Fully yeah, there, and yeah. to the point where they're interrupting Groucho, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fantastic. Uh, and then we have another great sequence. Where, of course, they do the hooray for Captain Spaulding again. And then Chico, or Chico, arrives as yeah, uh, Senor Emmanuel Ravelli. Very nice uh, intros for all of the characters. And then, then the professor, of course, played by Harpo. Right. Well, we I like, by the way, sorry, time. the Ravelli thing. I like yeah. the, I like the gag very much of, uh, you remind me of, uh, this, uh, this person. Are you related to him? I am that person. Uh, that's why you look like him. <laughs> yeah. He thinks he look, I look like myself. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, just yeah. nice. Yeah. And then, and then Harpo arrives, uh, doing his fantastic bubble blowing, but actually smoke thing. That is great. Do yeah. you know how he does that? I really don't know. Like, I guess, like, the third one is definitely a balloon. Yes. But, like, the first two, is it like, does he have soap in his mouth? Mm. And so blows, blows a little bit of smoke out. And, uh, cause it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Apparently, um, Harpo, uh, when they're doing the play, Animal Crackers, the play, um, he, this line Groucho fed him was, uh, how about a strawberry? And then he would blow a red balloon. Mm. They don't use it in the film, of course, because it doesn't really work. But so when they were doing the play, Harpo had his, he would be at the Algonquin Hotel with his friends, like, uh, Alexander Wolcott and people like that, the, the Algonquin Round Table folks, yeah. who, although he wasn't as educated as them, they just like, they just loved him as a kind of a great, sure. as a fun mascot kind of guy, you know. So, because he was such a nice person, you know. But he would leave there and he had it, he had his walk perfectly timed. So he'd walk into the, you know, walk into his dressing room just in time to get his stuff on, just in time to get on stage. He had it perfectly timed. Well, one day, they changed the, the late sequence and he was late. So he came running in, had to get dressed as quickly as he could, made his entrance, came out. Groucho said, how about a strawberry? He reached into his pocket. There was no balloon there. So that was weird. So then he goes to the next stage of it, of course, where he tears off his jacket and you know, reveals his wrestling or bathing costume that he's wearing. Only he was wearing nothing. He was just wearing his underwear and, okay. his, and his socks and suspenders and everything else, you know, nothing else. Or maybe he was wearing nothing else except for his socks and suspenders, actually. And... And of course, he doesn't realize that everyone around him is shocked. But of course, that's we're supposed to play shocked. Yeah, you know, it's like oh, he's taking off his jacket. He's wearing a bathing suit or whatever he's wearing, and uh, so he's not realizing until someone like kind of gets him to you know notice. And then he's like, "Ooh!" So he quickly runs off. And uh, Groucho said, "Of course, you've better be here tomorrow, folks. You'll be wearing nothing." <laughs> yeah, nice. it's uh, yeah, good story. The uh, the the strawberry thing. It seems like there's an easy way of fixing that, though. Mm. You just stick your tongue out. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. they could have done that. But again, uh, I'll mail that to the, the real problem. <laughs> the real problem wasn't that there's no strawberry. The real problem was that there were no clothing. Yes, I understand. <laughs> and then there's the weird part to our modern eyes. I guess 
You know, I guess the closest thing that we grew up with that was the Marx Brothers were Looney Tune cartoons. Well, my first exposure to the Marx Brothers are Looney Tune cartoons yeah, where okay. they would just represent the Marx Brothers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not too sure. I mean, I must have seen those, but I saw the Marx Brothers so early in my life that, I mean, not so super early, but grade five that, you know, they were they were kind of already known to me. So I didn't, wasn't like, ooh, who are these guys? Harpo picks up a gun and starts just randomly shooting people <laughs> and shooting at things. Yeah, hats flying off. Hats flying off or... The bird changing voice. The bird, the bird, the bird voice thing is very Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, scaring off the statues. Uh, oh, that's what I wanted to ask about. Sorry. Sure. You, you do your point, and then I'll ask a question. No, no, I'm just, you know. Oh, my point. question about the statues is, if they did have that gag in the live play, yeah. did two people just stand as statues through the whole thing until that moment where know. he shot them, yeah, and, good, then, uh, and then and and then then they'd move? Because that would be a great joke. I didn't think of that. I did look at I did look at the stage play last night, but I just looked at the end of it, because I was curious how it ended compared to the film. Mm. And so I didn't think of looking at that, because that's a good point. And I wonder, I think that's probably strictly a, a movie gag, because it would be really difficult to do on stage. It's pretty early in the play, though. It is pretty so, early. So, you know, you could, like, what, what I would say is, like, again, I'm writing it myself now, but, like, if you shoot, and then they shoot back, yeah. then I'd have them run off, and then, you yeah. you know, now you got two actors to, to use later on if you want. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, no, it was, a good, it was a good bit. The only problem was, you know, when you're watching it, you can clearly see they're not statues. Mm-hmm. You know, you almost need it to cut to the statues a little. They give too much time looking at the yeah, statues. Yeah. And it's like, if you just cut that a little tighter, mm-hmm. it would uh, it would have worked perfectly. Yeah, I think editing at that time still hadn't quite learned to how to... Well, it was partly because the, the people, editors and movie studios didn't trust their audiences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you think about the fact that it took about 30 years of, of movie making before someone cut off of a two-person shot to a, to a close-up of a person oh, sure, sure. in yeah. a room, like, separate from the conversation. Like, it took that many years for someone to actually think of doing that. Like, it takes a long time. Like, it took, you know, so when you're watching this film, you're, you're still seeing these kind of very long, yeah. kind of boring shots that really make no sense. Yeah. And then it added to that is the clunking of feet on the wooden set, you know, that they couldn't disguise. So, you know, this is little things where you're just kind of like, hmm. Yeah, Oops. I, I can see Doctor Who. Yeah, I can I can see where uh, you'll see that in our Doctor Who cast or our Owen Rock Todd Rock Todd cast somehow because we go backwards Wait, sorry, in time. Rock Cod. You know what? <laughs> On a sneaky dragon, by the way, let Dave know the words you want him to say backwards, and he will. I can see why Mary Melodies slash Looney Tunes yeah, yeah. Uh, would always do Harpo because he is such a cartoon character mm-hmm. anyway that mm-hmm. it lends itself perfectly. Sure, sure. And frankly, Bugs Bunny is so much Groucho to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of his oh, walk sure. and his pacing and, mm-hmm. and everything that, like, his carrot is his cigar. And absolutely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. that. The, so I think like when. I was watching Groucho as a kid. I was very comfortable with that because mm-hmm. it was a lot of the things that I was used to. That was my comedy training was Bugs Bunny. Yeah. So like, oh, yeah, this all makes sense to me. So, so yeah, he's, he's shooting the gun around. Very good. Yeah. And then, of course, he chases a blonde. Yep. Because that's Harpo. Yep. It is literally a running gag through the whole movie. <laughs> right? But it does pay off, which is good. But how often do you get that? Like from a movie back then, that's just like constantly that's the gag yeah, yeah, too yeah. without spoiling it. The punchline of the movie yeah. is that. It's pretty – I would say that's pretty rare. Yeah. Because that's a pretty developed gag. That's a very developed gag. Yeah. 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 We introduce the couple of the characters. We, yeah, we, we get the joke the... about the Central Parkers. Yeah. We end up with uh, – yeah. That's good. So then we cut to Arabella. Yeah. Played by Lillian Roth, who I think has a lot of fun in a role. Yeah. And she is really good, I think, in the movie. Like, for a role that doesn't have much to it, 
she does have some fun. She seems to be she like in the play that like, she's more of a spoiled brat, but in this she plays it more of like as more of like a rich spoiled brat. And in this movie, she's more of like a just sort of a you know just looking for fun, just having some fun kind of a girl. You, you know? know what? And I'll 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 give you that. Like, there's a lot of characters that are just having fun in this, and yeah. and they're almost all with the female characters. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Even uh, Margaret Dumont for you know that you take her as playing the stiff. Yeah, uh, she's having a great time. Yeah, like she's enjoying having all these guests around and just enjoying the whole darn thing yeah, so it's yeah. it's enjoyable to watch yeah yeah, yeah. uh obviously lillian roth wasn't in the stage version that it was uh, this, uh actress named ellis wood but they probably wanted a name couple na- uh, at least a name in sure. this movie just so people went, oh, oh lillian roth is in it she was in madam satan <laughs> it gives the marx brothers something to bounce against yeah you want you want some stability there and then once again uh hell thompson playing john parker uh, replacing Milton Watson from the stage version, and so in the in the movie we we are introduced to the fact that he's a struggling painter, mm-hmm. and uh, only making one hundred and fifty dollars a year. Only making one hundred and fifty dollars a year. To which I'm going, I have no idea. Yeah, what is that? In the past, you know, yeah. movies are a nickel. Yeah, I don't know. A steak costs a dime. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's good or bad back then. One hundred fifty dollars, yeah. probably bad. So obviously he's he's living this time with the uh, 1930s version of toxic masculinity. He feels bad that he can't support Arabella to right. the life. So that she wished but like everyone who's very poor yeah. back then, yeah. dresses fantastically well mm-hmm. in a suit that would cost yeah. you know, a thousand yeah. bucks today. Well, I mean, he's part of that. He's part of that circle. So yeah. what we have to assume is that his parents are wealthy. True. He's just not following his father's footsteps and becoming a you know some sort of insurance executive or whatever. He wants to be a painter. Yeah. Old timey job. Old timey. Yeah. And he's of course. Then they come up with this absurd idea of replacing the. The Bogard with a version that he, uh, some sort of study that he did when he was in art school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's going to impress Chandler that they cut out a painting out of the frame that he had brought and put a, a different mo- painting into the. Yeah. That is one, I got to say this, that is one hearty painting. Oh, it man, takes it a goes, lot of abuse. It gives a lot of kicking and keeps on ticking. Uh, I also like that back in those days, it was like, you've got to come and meet Captain Spaulding. Well, that sounds interesting. He's going to have stories to tell. Yeah. And listen, here's the here's the cherry on the cake. Yeah. You're going to get to see a painting. <laughs> We're all going to gather yeah. around. Oh, yeah. And at the end of the night, look at a painting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, why? Because TV hasn't been invented yet. Mm, yeah, there and you go. still images on the wall are pretty great. Yeah. And also, even if you didn't care... You were a part of a society where yeah, you had you to had pretend. To, you that had you to cared. pretend you had yeah. to care, but yeah. I just like that. That's the big ho ho. It's, yeah. it's too much so that it's like the front page of the paper. So yeah, so we comes up with this harebrained scheme, and uh, which John is is obviously not so keen on it, thinking that Chandler has no appreciation appreciation of art, won't even realize that it's been switched, and won't even care or, or notice. You know, so so then uh, so then we also have. There's a couple of other fun time gals who show up. Yeah. Mrs. Whitehouse. Or sorry, Mrs. Whitehead. Yeah. Uh, played by Margaret Irving, who also played the character in the play, who comes up with the same idea with her sister, yeah. uh, Grace Carpenter. And they have a history with hives. Or she has a history with hives. Yes, like, that's right. Yeah. That turns – yeah. So they, they – hives once worked for them. Yeah. So they have a relationship. They, know, they, they know hives is a little bit on they the – They already uh, know, yeah. That's right. Yeah, Hives, right. Hives, will, Hives yeah. is a player. Well, we can only imagine that everything that Hives did that got him into jail for five years. Four. Sorry, four years. Yep. Uh, he did 
at their place. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they know they all know about him. So uh, yeah, Grace Carpenter. I'm just going to say, played by Catherine Reese, who was not in the play. Uh, the play was someone else, some some lady named Bobby Perkins, did the stage version. Probably wasn't available for the movie version. Probably was working. And so they take Grace's. Admittedly, like in the movie, she admits this is a bad copy sure. of the Bogart, and then they convince Hives that uh, that he should put it in place. Uh, and of course, he's devoted to them. Yeah, he's game. And, he's and also, you know, he's, he's also just, a felon. He's a shifty character. That's he's right. down with it. He's That's down to right. clown. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's interesting was when uh, Catherine, uh, sorry, when Margaret Irving was hired by Sam Harris for the play, his instructions to her were, or his advice was to dress yourself in tin drawers and have some fun. What are tin drawers? Would that... I guess they would be uh, underwear that because she was going to get goosed a lot by some rambunctious oh, characters. So just, okay, fair enough. Margaret, Margaret Dumont was already getting it, and you're going to get it too. So they uh, like to torment Margaret Dumont. That was their job. <laughs> On and off stage and ah, screen. All right, we'll yeah. hear more about that as we progress. I'm sure. So then we have uh, Ravelli beats up with the professor, who's, of course, chasing the blonde girl, gets mad at him, and then... One of my favorite scenes in the film, Mrs. Rittenhouse and Mrs. Whitehead arrive in the room. And then we get one of the greatest scenes of all time with Grotier Harpo's uh, unprovoked attack on Margaret Dumont. This <laughs> is great. And she's such a trooper. Yeah. Like, she does a great job with that. Yeah. She just sells it. She sells it in every which way. <laughs> and... And then uh, this, and then you know the thing with with Harpo in the chair, and and uh, you know Chico being the 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 you know his, his ringside attendant, you know fanning him, and, yeah, you know chafing his his hands, whatever he's doing, and one, two, three, yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and then and then uh, you know uh, Harpo giving his uh, fierce fierce looks at Margaret Brown, who's you know what is the matter with that man, and all those sort of <laughs> things, you know. I just I must they must have been improvised because they're just they're basically like variations on the same thing over you now. And I just love when they're they're off, they're off camera. Whitehead and, and Margaret Dumont, Catherine, or Irving and, and and Margaret Dumont are off camera, but you can still hear them talking, you know, just <laughs> together, like, and they're just saying the same thing over again. I don't understand what is about you know, just things like that, you know. Well, they're just hang it, ha- hamming it up, and then the bridge game, which I don't know, I don't know the rules of bridge. Yeah, have we have we passed by the line about uh, that's in the past tense? Have we done that, or is know. that like a little later? Sorry. I'm just sorry. I, I wrote these down in order, but it was just like uh, it, it's again Groucho. Uh, there's a, the, the line about someone pronounces something and said, "You put that in the past tense because we're past tense now." You know, now we're living in bungalows. <laughs> that's, a good joke. Like, that's a that's a lovely joke. <laughs> and then there's there's him like uh, uh, saying to Margaret Dumont uh, again, one of my favorites. If this was if if. I, if this was a Eugene O'Neill play, I tell you what I was really thinking. Well, yeah, because he does, but that that comes after the scene. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. That's sorry okay. for jumping ahead. That's okay. That's okay. All right, but the bridge game. The bridge game. This is so fantastic, and it's so weird because it is filmed in the most basic way you could ever film a thing in your life. It's a camera sitting ten feet away from the actors, mm-hmm. all four of them on on screen. Yeah. This is after we get Hi's trying to put set up the card table that Harpo destroys and, and puts over his head, and <laughs> just leaves. And then they have a different table. They yep. already have a table. Why is he bringing in a table? I don't understand. Oh, they're a rich family. They got more and more table. <laughs> and of course, Harpo's sh- is uh, shuffling. Yeah. Uh, and then his dealing. Yeah. Uh, licking his thumb. Licking his thumb, but not using it. Not using it. And then, um, and then this is the game itself, where he seems to have an unlimited number of ace of spades. And Chico just sells it so well. Like he doesn't overplay it. He just sits back and just lets it happen. You know, he's just like ace of spades. You know, and then 
Harpo gathers up the cards, puts them in Ace of Spades. Mm-hmm. And then he plays a good game. Like <laughs> <laughs> he has forty Ace of Spades. Yeah. Who couldn't play a good game? I don't understand the rules of, of bridges. I was saying like I no. don't. They are a mystery to me. I uh, I once I think asked at the time, my father, knew, and he told me it's too complicated for you. Yeah. Which is pretty condescending. Though to be fair, I was five. Um. <laughs> well, then I maybe he, one day we'll learn. He had I, a point. Yeah. Because I remember like there's a, a cartoon. I don't know Baccarat either, but I can watch a James Bond movie. Yeah, you don't really. It's besides the point really yeah. back right there was a cartoonist of that time period this guy named hd webster and his cartoons were f- and i loved his cartoons but his cartoons were full of bridge jokes oh well, absolutely that's what people did and I just, again the generation before us played bridge yeah, that was yeah. the social thing they would do they would get together so there's always yeah there's always jokes about like you know i told you not to play trumps or whatever like yeah a couple are leaving a heart no a trump and you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Heart no Trump. That is a knee slapper. It's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. One day, one you're... day we should actually learn how to play that. Oh, well, maybe we yeah. should. We should do a podcast. Teach yourself bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you for not saying that backwards. <laughs> I'm tempted. So yeah, that's just a classic. Yeah, it's scene. a great scene, and it's a tough scene to make work to make an entertaining scene yeah. about bridge. And then I wonder in the live production because it ends with uh Harpo wearing um uh the shoes the, yeah. the shoes the woman's shoes mm-hmm. which i guess you know you've got so much distraction that you could put your feet underneath the table yeah, yeah. slip on shoes and oh, then yeah, whatever for sure. yeah. but uh, yeah it's a good uh, it's a good punchline at the very end yeah yeah it's very good and that lady has big feet or maybe Harpo has small feet yeah. dainty little irish they, clown feet they didn't look that small so then we have uh yes yeah, so then we have the the other um great scene where Oh, so then we have Ravelli and Harpo run into Chandler. And that's when we have, they recognize him as A.B. the fish peddler yes. from Czechoslovakia. And then Chandler tries to bribe them to, in order to keep them quiet. But they, they just end up taking his money, his tie and his garters, and his birthmark. Yeah, they take his, yeah, they first they wrestle him, show the birthmark. Then he asks, steal the birthmark later. Uh, he offers them a check, uh, throw it on the ground, it bounces. Yeah. Not the best bounce in the world, but, you know, gag still, uh, gag still plays. Uh, Harpo steals the uh, five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. like all Harpo's business of uh, just casual theft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, and he, you know, obviously the money means nothing to him because he dresses like a tramp. He's not. He doesn't go out and spend it. He just, I don't know what he does with it. Now here's a sorry. Maybe I missed this uh, off the top. Do uh, so. So Chico's character and Harpo's character. Yeah. Uh, they know each other. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They are. They're. They're the. They're the hired entertainers. They have. They are musicians who have been hired. And so they were supposed to work together as musicians. They weren't just separately hired off the top. Because I wasn't. Oh, I don't know. See, I wasn't clear about that. But then in this, they're like, "Hey, it's that guy we know from from the thing." It's like, oh, because when they're playing bridge, I only play with him. All these guys clearly have a con man relationship with each other. In coconuts, they were a team. Yeah. In this one, it looks like they were a team. But I was like, were they a team? Do they know each other? Yeah. And then in this one, we both know this guy from there. Remember, he had the birthmark so these guys have a history Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. uh so after that scene then we cut to to the scene that you were talking about the Mm -hmm. margaret dumont mrs rittenhouse mrs whitehead scene with a lot of uh, groucho monologues a lot of or soliloquies yes strange interludes strange interludes because there was a play by eugene o'neill called strange interludes where the cast do asides to the audience and express their inner thoughts that was the idea of the play was that you know, when you watch a play, you don't really know what the actors are thinking or yeah. what the characters are thinking. And so O'Neill created this play where the, act- the actors would kind of come to this, the skirt of this, you know, they come to the edge of the stage and speak to the audience. Which is a Shakespearean thing. In this yeah, kind device, of in, yeah. in tone to the audience. And so Groucho obviously is, is parodying that in a very, uh, a very uh, dramatic, dramatic or overdramatic yeah. way. Because he does refer to, the, to Eugene yes. O'Neill's play. So when it was on stage, this was a part of the show where, where Groucho would often improvise. 
And one of the improv- improvisations that you hear is Anaconda, da da da. It's him naming stock prices and stuff like that. And yes. that comes from when they were doing the play. That's when the crash happened. That and, okay. And Groucho, his life savings were entirely wiped out Ugh. in in that crash. Both him and Harpo lost all of their money. Chico also lost some of his money, but he'd already lost his money to gambling because right, right, right. Chico lived a totally different way than his brothers did. And the stock market was gambling in its own way. In as his well. own way, so they for all sure, lost yeah. money to gambling. Yeah. Uh, Chico was basically poor all the time. He lived check to check and just gambled away his money and just spent it like it was money, like it was water, and I never really had any, which is why their career went for so long. When that both Groucho and Harpo could easily have retired much much earlier in their lives, they just had to keep working for 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 Chico. Uh, yeah, and so the one night, you know, like Groucho had to go out and be funny with the knowledge that, you know, he had lost around, I think it's around 150000 250000 that he lost in the, in the crash. Mm-hmm. Even though the signs were there, everyone was making so much money that it was hard to, to not, like hard to not make money, like hard to go back and, and like, and just say, oh, maybe I'll just sell out now and, and, and take, you know, instead they just kept on riding this thing thinking it would last forever and then it just crashed and everyone lost their money. And so um, he didn't even want to go out on stage. He was sitting in his dressing room, and there was only risk and threatening that he would go out dressed as Groucho and mm-hmm. do the do the show. The Groucho relented and went out on stage, and basically just made jokes about the stock market all night, like just all these ad libs about the stock market. And some of them were incorporated into this part, and they just kind of found a home there and stayed, even even you know, once once he'd gotten over the heartbreak of this. And let me again say, Margaret Dumont. Uh, keeping it solid behind him <laughs> yeah, the whole right. time, yeah, just yeah. like just locked, yeah. locked. Good yeah. stuff. Never breaking. Well yes. done. And of course, it has our line that I've always loved, which is, "But Captain, that's big of me." Yes, and it's big of me too. <laughs> yes, I just love that. Uh, I love that line. Um, yeah. Are they both game with marrying this guy? Who knows? It's just it good for the laughs. Yeah. Scene. It's just it's like, it, 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 is his flirting working? Apparently, and then it works on all the bathing beauties when they're coming down the stairs. It's hard to tell sometimes because when Riskin was was doing the script for the movie, he would move scenes around that were in the play mm-hmm. in order to. Uh, for, for I don't know what reason, maybe just because they wanted to like it would be better here than there, and it didn't really matter to the story anymore. So he just kind of moved them around. Like so, that might have been later in the play, where there was more of a relationship, and it made more sense that sequence. Whereas at the beginning of the movie, it doesn't make as much sense because he didn't really have a relationship with either of those characters so much. Right. And so it seemed kind of weird, weirdly placed. And I think it probably was later on in the play. I have no evidence for that. I'm just saying. We come to later that night in the middle of a thunderstorm. We have a great scene where Ravelli and the professor uh, come in and to replace the the Bogard. Uh, they bring in a, a, they're going to be quiet, right. so naturally they bring well, in a step ladder, I, a I, chain. Yeah. Oh could, sure. Oh, you want to go like a, Did we have the scene already where Spalding and the other fellow? I'm sorry, I'm blanking on. His oh name. yes, that's right. Sorry, sorry. Before this sequence, I yeah. should have mentioned that. That's right. They have their fantastic talks together. Right, uh, and and they have the thing where it seems like it's a slip up in the name where. Uh, the other guy calls himself Captain Spaulding, and yep. and then Groucho is doing like it's it's if it's make him up if it's like scripted gold it's scripted gold that's just gold to me uh, where it just looks like uh, like an improvisation and then Groucho is asking to see a program and then they keep building on it and building on it oh it's just it's it's absolutely beautiful yeah yeah it's yeah. it's really well done and and like Chandler Louis Soren as played by Louis Soren he's not a stiff. He's not a Mm-mm. bad guy. He's actually a nice guy. He seems like a yeah. he's a sympathetic character, and and they don't really tear him apart. 
No. He's just sort of, he's, he's sort of on their level, you know? Although there is a thing where they, that great little sequence of the eight cent nickel. Yes. You know, you could make it last and he's like, well, that's a good idea. Oh, the six cent nickel, the yeah. seven cent nickel, the eight yeah. cent nickel, and you could uh, actually make money off it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, he's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. It does? Well, it's probably not a good idea. Rocho's character. Uh, okay, so yeah, so that, that is, oh, sorry, I missed that sequence. That is a, that is a good sequence. And then. The we, heist. We, uh, we have the heist. Which, yeah, as I was saying, uh, of course, if you're going to sneak into a house to replace a painting, what you want to bring in is a length of chain. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite know. And, uh, some shovels and a pickaxe, I think he also had. Yeah. I get the feeling that these, it's, that's just what a criminal would have. You'd have that. (laughs) Now, listen, I'm sorry. Uh, we've edited a little clip out where I used a swear word by mistake. So I'm going to be very careful in what I'm saying next here. (laughs) Uh, where, uh, Chico is asking for a flash. Yes. And, uh, and, and you get like a flask. You get a flute. Yes. You get the uh, the Fl- flicks. The flit. Flit. Sorry, yes. the flit. Uh, yeah, and uh, all these other the, these other things. And Which, the, once again, uh, pays other, off again. What's that? The flit pays off as well. Yes. The only reason I know the, the flit is because I'm a Dr. Seuss fan, and he used to do ads for flit. Okay. And it would be uh, it would be someone with a there was a giant bug. And the wife would be saying to the husband, "Quick, Henry, the flit." Okay. And so I'm yeah. like, "Oh, it's the flit." So yeah, yeah, when yeah. It, the, flit, uh, the flit, not the flit, the, the flash, the yeah. flash, not the flesh. He's grabbing at his yeah. cheek, you know, and, and uh, oh, and the fish, and the fish, yes, and the fish, of course, yes. That's that. And so strangely enough, like in the middle of the job, they're perched on the uh, the mantelpiece together. Is in uh, Harpo's on the ladder. Margaret Dumont and Groucho come in with the, for another great line. You can't see your hand before your face. You wouldn't have much fun in that. <laughs> this is Groucho. And it's just uh, so good. And then, uh, and then of course they, they leave. It's a very, it's kind of a weird sequence. Yeah. I wonder in the play if there was more people coming in and out, but because the cast had been cut down for the, for the, for the movie, if you had, if you didn't have the same people come kind of running around hmm. and making that scene more of a farce sequence on, on stage. All right, so then they replace the painting, I yep. assume, although it kind of cuts in a way that makes you unsure what exactly happened. Yeah, I'm sure in the uh, in the play, you know, when uh, the lights go out, that's mm-hmm. when they could do the shift, shift. I, I do like their California joke, though, where they uh, one door it's pouring rain out and yes. the other door it's sunny. You know. Yes. All right, so then we have uh, we have the, the party sequence, the night, the party sequence where... Captain Spaulding Captain gives Spaulding us, 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 please speak, speak. Yeah, 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 and uh, with a wonderful monologue containing some great jokes and some clangers. Yeah. But that's that's the great thing about how they did it, because I almost feel like they wanted clangers in there. As a kind of a, it's kind of like a little bit of a. Well, softener. I don't want to. I don't want to skip to uh, to to a later reference to that, but there's a, le- a reference to that later on. That's in the, right. In the that's thing. true. Uh, the one thing, uh, sorry, the small little technical thing. Like I like that he starts with like a, it was a polar bear, and uh, she comments on the polar bear, and they get a yeah. good gag about that. Yeah. But then he talks about uh, bagging six tigers. Yes. And I'm like, that's a, also a good joke, but there's no tigers in Africa. At all. Yes, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But you would assume. So that was a common. I could understand that. Yeah. yeah. It's not until Monty Python's Meaning of Life that then we have like the sketch where people are like, a tiger in Africa? Because <laughs> uh, there is this, oh no, because the song that the Bonzos did was Hunting Tigers in India. Yeah. So they, they had the right location. Yeah, um, anytime uh, that someone goes, hey Groucho, what do you think? I'm like, yep, I'm on board. Here we go. This is saving us so, from a song. So I love, I love, I love uh, when he's talking about the, the elks come down. Yes. <laughs> they're not looking for water holes, they're looking for elk holes. <laughs> And this is the thing that it's just so much fun. Uh, good, yeah, it's a good elk club uh, joke. And I love the way he's 
The way he, I love the way he's reclining almost on the piano. Yes. Like, it's such a relaxed pose and it seems so natural, you know, and it's almost like, I'm not in film, I'm just talking and he's just like leaning yeah. on the piano, telling his little jokes. Let's just jokes. do a bunch of jokes in a row. Yeah, Let's yeah. just go to town. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. It's a great bit. And then we go come to one of my favorite parts of any Marx Brothers film, which is Chico at the piano. Mm-hmm. Chico at the piano. I always want to say Chico. I'm sorry. When I first saw the Marx Brothers movies, you know, Chico was never referred to as Chico in the films. His only Chico in the credits is Chico as Chico Marx. And so I grew up with Chico and the man. And so that was how I saw yeah. the spelling. You know? When they did trailers, did they ever say their names in the trailers, like the announcer, whatever? Or would it all just be words? Would it just be like, the four Marx Brothers I don't, with Chico? I don't really know, and but, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't yeah. have the guy actually saying it. Yeah, I don't know. Because I never saw the trailers as a kid. There was yeah, no YouTube trying to, to see think, trailers. I'm trying to think like what would it be like a newsreel or something? Like where would you actually hear their names no. said for the first yeah, time? Yeah. I mean, they appeared on radio and things like that. So you'd so they would say Groucho their and Chico names. would be on radio yeah. and things Obviously, Harpo wouldn't show up unless, unless he just used his horn as a kid. So I, I'm sorry. I apologize for constantly mispronouncing his name. It's just a, a lifelong habit that's hard to break. But yes, we get um, Chico playing I'm Daffy Over You, the song he can't find the ending to. <laughs> so it's much to to, uh, Harp, or to Groucho's discomfort. He keeps repeating the same little riff round and round. When I was uh, when I was growing up, I was a big fan of uh, Victor Borgia because my dad would mm. like watch all those specials. Yeah. yeah. And retroactively looking at a lot of the bits that Victor Borgia does, it seems like he combines Groucho and 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 Chico. Mm. Like a lot of the verbal stuff that he okay. does is definitely wordplay that would be very Groucho-esque, but then yeah. the physicality of the playing, mm. especially that like kind of finger gun yeah. Uh, yeah. bit just is uh feels it feels chico-esque there's the finger gun and then there's the thing where he kind of he'll he'll roll his fingers along the yes. keys in, a, in this interesting way and then there's one where he has this, this pinky kind of perched over the over the, the key and then he just brings it down with a little dink and then yeah. it's just so it's so pleasing to it's watch it's delightful yeah and you watch it and you're like how can you do that how could a person who played piano on stage every night for 20 years do that with such oh he played it Played it uh, twenty every night for twenty years. Okay, that's why he right. can do it so well. Also, because he constantly needed the money because of gambling. So that oh, means yes. you work a lot. Yes, he did. Because you can work never go. I'm going to take a break. Nope, you're not. <laughs> you're going to need money all the time. So learn how to do the thing you got to do. Apparently, his warm up for playing the piano was to put his hands in in, a, in ice water. He hmm. put his hands in ice water, and then he'd be like, "I'm ready to play." Interesting. Which is interesting. Then he plays uh, "Silver Threads Among the Gold," and then finishes with uh, playing a little bit of a song called "The Gypsy Chorus." And then we get Harpo also plays a little bit of the piano. Mostly plays the piano just so he can do the stool, the mm-hmm. the, the, the stool bit. Spin, spin, spin. And then spin. Uh, I love that all three of them break out with the football game. It's <laughs> a fantastic moment in the. And what's really interesting with the football game is that it's like okay, you knew you knew what you're doing in the sequence. Why is everyone struggling to get around the piano to get behind it? Like everyone has to like cut, like basically like you know like crawl over Margaret Dumont to get to that that side of the the, the piano. Mm-hmm. And you knew you knew that they were, you're going to do this. Why is she like so close to it? It's I'm going to be strange. honest with you on this. At this point, my library DVD skipped a little oh, bit. Okay. Oh, so okay. So I missed the piano bit. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, that's went, too bad. Yeah, I saw the har- I saw Harpo harping. Yeah. I saw the piano with, with Chico, but I don't think I saw that. Oh, okay. I think it just okay. jumped like 30 seconds or oh, something. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it was very strange because, like I say, you you knew before you turned on the cameras what the scene entailed. Yeah. And yet you did it in such a way that it's very clum. They have to clumsily like cut around the back of the piano. And basically, like bump knees with people in order to get around to that huh. side. It's very odd because then because the scene where because like, Harpo uh, has some horseshoes and he's clanging them together, and then Chico starts playing the the anvil, anvil chorus, chorus, 
And then Groucho starts playing the bellow or starts doing the bellows with a lady's leg, which is a bit forward with his probably Mrs. Whitehead as usual. Um, yeah, so but fun nonetheless. This is another great another great sequence. Oh, so many good sequences in this movie. All right. So then, yeah, I like and what I like about sorry that whole sequence in general is, yeah. is pretty much like one character just turns and goes, "Hey, you know that great thing you do? Why don't you do that, <laughs> Groucho? Why don't you talk for a while? Yeah. Hey, Chico, you know what you're amazing yeah. at? Well, Piano." Why don't we do some piano for a while? Hey, Harpo, do a little, uh, get a little, uh, and everyone gets to do their... But he doesn't do the harp there, though. No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, He gets to play a little bit of the piano and do Mm -hmm. kind of his... Mm -hmm. Everyone gets like a little showcase bit. Yeah. 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 So, so then after, you know, all the business, Chandler then invites the guests. Back to the plot. Let's go, let's go take a look at the Bogard, everybody. So then we, yeah, we get the very strange scene of a bunch of people sitting in chairs. Yep. Uh, with an aisle between them, like as if they're, someone's getting married. Yeah. In in this room, and then they're all there to see the Bogard. Yeah, and you go like, maybe it isn't great to be rich (laughs) if you gotta do this nonsense at night, but okay, here we go. And so then, uh, reveal. Yeah, then we have the reveal of the painting, and then Chandler begins to talk about it, and turns and looks, and then reveal, and then notices that it's a horrible. Oh, oh, yeah. someone, has, someone has replaced the Bogard. Of course, Mrs. Rittenhouse is is upset because Ooh. this is, casts a pall on her party and makes her uh, as the hostess. She's you know she's, uh, she's kind of at fault for this, and then uh, and then all the then the guests lit by Captain Spaulding all run outside, and well, I'm not too sure what they're doing, making yeah. a lot of noise and nonsense, nonsense, yeah. a lot of stuff happening, and then rhubarb. And then we have John and Arabella's uh, little sequence where they discuss yep. how exciting this all is. And, and John, of course, is a little upset because he thinks that it's his painting still that people didn't like or that it was, it was so bad that it was obviously bad. Then they sing uh, the song Why Am I so, so Romantic, which, as I said earlier, was written specifically for the film, isn't mm-hmm. part of the... I mean, let's just say, before we go on, sure. that there were many songs that were in the stage version that weren't in the play. Because there actually were extra characters in the, in the, in the play. There was a whole sequence with two journalist characters. One was sort of take off on Walter Winchell, mm. uh, sort of a gossip columnist sort of character, um, that was in the play. And then, and like, and Arabella didn't like John. She actually was wanted to, she wanted to, she was in a relationship with the, with the Walter Winchell style character in the play. So, uh, there was a song called The Long Island Lowdown, which was sung, uh, by the journalist character named Wally Winston in the play. Who was dropped from from the film, as I said, and then uh, he sang it with Grace Carpenter. So, oh yeah, with Grace Carpenter. Maybe I'm mixed up. Anyway, and then there was a song called "Cool Off," which was sung by Grace Carpenter. By the way, we're gonna we're gonna post all our corrections later too, because we're gonna get some of this stuff wrong. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and then uh, as I said earlier, most of the opening butler and maid scene was cut, so they just had a very short short version of that. There was a song called News, which was sung by the journalist character, Wally Winston. Uh, see, the, and the reason that that character was, cause when Riskin was, when he put his, when he put the characters together, he, he wanted to use the journalist characters. But Herman felt like that wouldn't play outside of New York. They would, people wouldn't know who, who this Walter Winchell style character was, what he meant or what mm. he was supposed to be. So, like, it was strictly a New York thing and, and at that time. Okay. And so that was left out. So, so instead they concentrated on the artist character of John Parker rather than, uh, rather than the Walt, the Wally Winston character. Yeah. Again, uh, it's all extra stuff that, you know, get to, get back to the Marx Yeah, Brothers. that's exactly yeah. right. Uh, when things are bright and rosy, which was sung by Wally Winston and Arabella, uh, because they were an item. And then who's been listening to my heart, which was sung by, uh, Mary Stewart, another journalist character who was taken out of the, the movie. And then a song which was sung by uh, Mary Stewart and John Parker because they were the item in, in the original play, uh, watching the clouds roll by. Those were all so a lot of songs that were yeah. taken out of the film, 
and who can blame them? Because in, in the stage version where you want the kind of spectacle on stage of chorus girls and a lot of people singing in masked groups and all that kind of stuff, yes, that plays. But in a movie, it's just not that great. Yeah. What you want are the funny songs that Kelmer and Ruby were really good at, and and that 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 plays really well. And then you get this one kind of, you know, throw a bone to the, the romantic people in the audience who want this kind of stuff for their... Why isn't there a romantic... Yeah, some thing? people are there on dates. Yeah. All right, so we have the next day. A police squad arrives. Uh, one of them, Ed, uh, Edward Metcalf, who was also in the play, uh, plays a detective. Uh, they come to secure the house and search for the missing painting. Now, have we had Hive show that he's got chloroform yet? Or are we, where are we at yet? Have we passed by that or are we still I'm to not get sure. there? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Anyway, at one point, as we say, Hive says chloroform. <laughs> Moving on. It, uh, it, that will come into play later in a very important way. Yeah. All right. Uh, realizing that, oh, th- this is the scene actually, because realizing they may have gone too far, Mrs. Whitehood and Grace ask Hives go, for the yeah. Bogart he took back. Yes. But he can't it's find not there, it. Yeah. yeah. It's missing. Yeah. And yeah. the last time, th- this is where he reveals that, like, the last time the police had questions for me, I went away for four years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Mrs. Whitehood, uh, kind of figures out that the professor must have taken it. Mm. By the way, what a door. Like, he opens the door mm. to find, and it's just this really crazy art looking deco kind of art door, yeah. deco door yeah, yeah, yeah. that he's uh, hidden the, 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 the painting in. But, but a yes. pretty, pretty common film look of the time. And sure. you think of like the, the, the Astaire, um, Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers films with, with the black glossy floors and all the, you know, all this kind of art deco. <laughs> I just remember when he, when he was going to it, like me going, wow, what a door. <laughs> Yes, it is a door. You're right. We have... Uh, By the way, sorry, when he's showing that he's got the chloroform as well, yeah. uh, I like that he goes, would you like to try it? Yeah, that's <laughs> so right. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, okay. Mm. Mm, yeah, strange. all right. Yeah, like, creepy. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Don't, go a, don't go on a date with hives. That's what we learn in that scene. <laughs> and don't go in that door. And don't go in that door. Because <laughs> you never find out why hives went away for those four yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and basically, they look outside and they see... Isn't it when they, when they look outside and see Harpo sleeping in, on a bench with, with the painting on yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. He's using it as a blanket. Yeah. And so they go and basically, without any trouble at all, take it back. Yeah, this is the start of the painting being abused yeah, uh, portion. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, By the way, this isn't a real famous painting, right? This Is is it a parody of a famous painting? I guess it must be. It just, I, there's no, no painter named Pope Yeah, what's Bogart. it called? It's called uh, After the Hunt. Mm. Like that to me felt like either this is actually a painting that yeah. they're they're using, yeah, or or it's a parody of something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't know about the painting itself. I know that there is no painter named Bogard. So yeah, so it may just it may have been a bit of fun. Yes, or maybe there was. I don't know. I should have looked that up. I guess that's all right. I, There's a lot of other Marx Brothers podcasts. We can listen to them. And yeah, see what they can figure say. it out. You guys figured it out for me. I don't need to do all this stuff. Uh, the guy who plays the police chief or police detective, Ed, uh, Edward Metcalf, actually was a longtime cast member of the Marx Brothers shows. He started he started in Home Again because he replaced this actor who left named Paul Yale, who was actually a really popular comedy actor in in there, who actually got uh, often got better better reviews than the Marx Brothers in in their oh. shows. And then so his job was to be the policeman who sh- shakes Harpo's hands. That's his job. So, uh, and then we get the, the silverware yeah. dropping. And so that was done in Home Again. It was done in On the Mezzanine. It was pretty much repeated in every possible version of a, of a Marx Brother uh, stage play or stage review. Uh, so that was bit, his job. Bit. Yeah, it was good. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was also an Alsatias as well. So yeah, whatever, whatever they needed. They... And Grouch was saying, I think this is going to go on for days. Yeah. Uh, so later, John finds Grace's copy of the Bogard. And oh, re- could I ask a question? Sure. Here? Sorry. Uh, have we gotten to the part which is my favorite, uh, bit, which is, uh, Groucho, you know, uh, talking and then one of the jokes doesn't go over. And then he just turns to the audience and go, well, all the jokes can't be good. You got to expect that. 
Is that uh, is that is that now? Maybe. I think it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I love that. I love like I think you told me this once upon a time where like because they knew where sometimes the jokes wouldn't yeah, work. Yeah. Uh, he could do that. Yeah. It's probably just, it's probably from the stage play, so he would turn to right. the audience and when they didn't react to that joke and just say that. But it's such a gutsy joke. thing to do in a yeah, movie to yeah. just go like, now we know this joke. I'm gonna put a joke in that's not gonna work, <laughs> so that we can go look. Yeah. That's great fourth wall breaking. Yes, yes. After getting the peony back from the professor, who is now in disguise, John and Elbel bring it back to Captain Spaulding. They figure out that the professor must be the one who stole the painting. Mm -hmm. And then they get the police to help find him. Now, have the Marx Brothers uh, entered by this point seeing old Kentucky home? No, this is where they do that. Very good. Because then the police are supposed to find it. But we're missing a sequence, which I forgot to mark down here, which is that we uh, the great uh, scene where um, Zeppo takes a letter. Yes. So that's a fantastic sequence. And I think that when you say that Zeppo, uh, anyone could do Zeppo's role, I think that in this part of the movie or in this part of the performance, only Zeppo, only a Marx Brother could do a scene with a Marx Brother like this where he leaves out the body of the letter. Yeah. You know, like there's that certain amount of like, uh, you know, Marxian uh, kind of gutsiness that you need yeah, for that. Yeah, he's got his, he's, he's, he's got it, he's got it right. Here's my only problem with it is yeah. like, I could have used something at the beginning because like, Zeppel comes out and introduces Captain Spaulding. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, the captain... Oh, and the whole thing about, you know, he's setting him up of... Yeah. Uh, captain is a very moral man. Yeah, yeah. And setting up everything, setting up everything, setting yeah, yeah. up everything. Yeah, So when he's... He's not really a moral man, by the way. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> that's the thing. He's setting him up as like uh, falsely larger than he is. And, yeah. and, and I'm assuming the Zeppel character knows this. Yeah, he's his know, assistant. He's his assistant. Yeah. And so he's doing that. So to me, it's like he wants to make him look better than he is. And that's the dynamic I know from Zeppo from the long time ago in this movie where I last saw Zeppo. Yeah, That's yeah. all I know is he yeah. sets him up and he wants to make him look good. Yeah. So now he's being a little bit, you know, of a Dickens with uh, with with Groucho, which is a funny which is a funny that. bit, but he's not he's, he's not trying to make it yeah. better for him. Whereas whereas it seems like he's a different character now yeah. than he was then. His dynamic is his dynamic is different. It feels like maybe there was like in the play another couple of scenes yeah. where like well, it's they changed for sure. a little yeah, bit yeah, it's because it's not he's not doing what he did at the beginning, and because he's yeah. such a non character, it's a little weird to me. Even though it's funny, it doesn't feel like you know what their relationship was before yeah uh well i mean that's possible but i and it's just it's still a great scene and just the fact that there's a, a firm called hunger dunger hunger dunger hunger dunger hunger dunger and mccormick is, yes is great and I also oh, it's like, all great bits yeah i like that zeppel left left out a hunger dunger and uh and also they can't pronounce it properly it's hunger dunger I, i'm yep. pronouncing it, mispronouncing it too and, and then he left out the body of the letter. We'll send the body later. In brackets? No, uh, in a box. To it, forthwith, a lot of stuff in it. The way that Grocho plays it, it feels like he's making it up on the spot, which he obviously isn't because it's it's well constructed and would be would really be hard to improvise. Uh, but he does make it look like he's just doing it on the spot because he got a lot of kind of uh forthwith, uh here to four, uh here to four, uh you know, there's all these sort of little little uh Legal, legalese jargon and stuff. Well, it's a very smart comedic thing that, uh, as, you know, uh, that you, you look like you're improvising and struggling to find something to the point where the audience thinks you are. Mm -hmm. So they do a lean in. Yes. And they're like, uh, they're on your side. So when it pays off, waha, instead of just a ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, ooh, ah, boom. Good for him. Very he true. almost, Very it's true. the typewriter walker walking across. You're, he's always going to struggle halfway through and you're thinking, he might fall because mm-hmm. if the guy just walks across like, boo, 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 no problem. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Very true. 
all right, so so we were we were down the fact that the professor. So we get um oh yeah after a brief altercation, Spalding, Ravelli, and, and Jameson enter with the professor singing "My Old Kentucky Home." And my gosh, it's good. Yes. Well, they really, were, I know, I understand. They were a singing group. I understand they're a singing group. Yeah. But it's very good. Yeah. Like, it sounds great. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. And it's just nice seeing them all they do their harmonize parts very together. Well it's stuff, very, yeah. very sweet. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the professor is apprehended, and the three paintings are returned. Chander momentarily mistakes John's copy for the original mm-hmm. Bogart. And then realizing it's his so talent, impressed. it pays off. It actually pays off. I get, you know, yeah. Arabella, Pusidis is a smarty, and John is uh, should have been less skeptical. And uh, Chandler hires John to do uh, a portrait of him, which is great. And then, which is a which is an odd thing. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad the plot, which who cares, uh, <laughs> pays off. But it's like, hey, yeah, you yeah. you you're really good at copying another painting. Yeah, that's you know right. what you'd be good at? A portrait of me. Copying me. That's right. Well, doing that a, doing a copy of me. This yeah. is not in any way the same skill set. And yet, good. Here we go. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get another person to paint a portrait of me. Then I want you to copy that. And I'm gonna put that copy on the wall. That's right. I want you to do a series of copies. Then I'm gonna give the original to Harpo to sleep on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He needs a, a blanket too. Yeah. So then there's of course old Irishman, a Groucho, and it, it's not very convincing, but apparently it convinces the, the police detective that he should let Harpo go. But then he immediately decides that he's going to arrest him. Yeah. And then we get uh, we get the uh, we get payoffs. We get payoffs. Payoffs for bits. We get the flit comes back. The flit spray right, comes back because we've had the sprayer the earlier. Chloroform, uh, oh, the we we had seen a little earlier that uh, that Harpo had loaded up. Yeah. The flit sprayer with the with the chloroform slash yeah. ether, yeah, whatever knockout yeah, yeah. juice we've got yeah, in that. That's right, the knockout drops. Uh, and then the film concludes with the professor knocking Oh, him. wait, wait a oh, second. Sorry. No, let's get into this. Uh, yeah. it, it Knocking everybody out. Yeah, everyone. Uh, including a very funny Groucho going out. Like, yes. uh, I'm going so young. Yeah, and then right. with his leg in the air and just like taking forever to lower the leg. <laughs> and then Chico not thinking he's going to get yeah, knocked yeah, out. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm knocked out. Oh, yeah, there right. we go. That's right, yes. Yeah. Okay, but please. They'll have a good, back, good back bit there. You. Then he, then Harpo, of course, knocks himself out and oh. lays in the arms. Because he sees, first of all, yes, the, the, the girl blonde. that he's been chasing the whole yeah, time. Yeah. And there's a beat where you go, uh-oh. And then it's because he's a sweet, because yeah. we've established yeah. he's five years old. Yes. Uh, right. Earlier on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, knocks himself out. Because women that he loves, he not only wants to put his arm in, the, he also wants to break their arm. He's a, he, has, he has no, there's no limit of the love that he wants to show people. So what's interesting though is that... He the, goes to sleep. Uh, yeah, oh sorry, he goes to sleep in her arms and that's yeah. the end of the... A very, very sweet play. ending. And it works pretty well, I think. The play ended differently. The play ended with, with this costume party where everyone had to come dressed as uh, a member of the court of Louis the 57th. Ha. Of course, because Captain Spaulding is the, the, ho- or is the, the guest of honor. He play, he's the king. Yeah, Mrs. R- uh, Mrs. Rittenhouse, Margaret Dumont's character, plays the queen, and then the the character of of Mrs. Whitehead, she is a Dubarry, this kind of uh, mistress of the king. Yeah, and and so then there's sort of a, a kind of a French farce element of 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 a back and forth, and it's basically when they did the play, I'll say she is. Groucho and this uh, guy who is kind of a cartoonist, uh, comedy writer named Will B. Johnston wrote a sketch called the Napoleon Sketch. The Napoleon Sketch is Josephine, played by some actress, and Groucho is Napoleon. And he's going off to fight the battles. And after a long kind of, once again, kind of monologue sort of thing with a lot of puns, he leaves. And then uh, Zeppo comes uh, to make whoopee with her. I guess that's the only word I could think of because that seemed of the time period. Sure. so before they're interrupted by the return of Napoleon, he's searching for his sword. So then he has to hide. And then Napoleon searches for his sword. And he's a little suspicious of what's going on. But he gets his sword and then he leaves. And then uh, Chico comes in 
And he does a piano piece then. So this is incorporated into the play. There's a piano bit here. And then uh, just as he's finishing his piano bit, Napoleon returns again because he's looking for another sword. <laughs> so then he kind of like finds his other sword and then, okay. then he leaves. Sure. And then once he leaves, Josephine is joined by Harpo. Okay. And Harpo does his harp solo sure. in this part here. And just as he finishes his harp solo, which is the uh, song Glimpses of the Moon, just before he finishes, Napoleon comes back again. At this point, he's quite certain that there's people in the room, and and it kind of goes on from there, you know. And so, but then then they kind of all reveal themselves and they sing this song that in the Animal Crackers play they sing this so- song called "We're Four of the Th- or Four of the Three Musketeers." And it was, you know, "We're Four of the Three Musketeers." We've been together for years. Eeny, meeny, miny, honk. We're uh, four of the three musketeers. That was the song, and Very so, nice. so that was in the original stage play. And, and there that's... were four three musketeers as well. And there were four. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And so then, uh, and that would have been sort of the climax of the film, rather than than the sort of kind of weird ending. I mean, I still enjoy it. It does pay off a few things. Yeah, that I are think set it's a sweet well. ending, and it does, it does pay work. off gags. It does work for that's sure. funny because that do, that does remind me of uh, the Woody Allen movie Everyone Says I Love You, which has a big scene where everyone is dressed as uh, Groucho Marx. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. they do the Ray for Captain Spaulding. Of course, that's a Marx Brothers song as well. Everyone says I love you. We'll get oh, to, that's we'll interesting. We'll get to that when we do Horse Feathers. <laughs> or said backwards. So yeah, hard to say. Well, yeah. All right. So, so there we go. That was that was the movie. So we're getting. So then we're getting to the end of the show. So I've got the ether here, ready to knock us out at the end. <laughs> good, good. Thematically, we have a couple of blondes whose arms we can lay in. Oh, is that right? I hope we do. Okay. Well, I, think I hope you provided this because I, I just want to lay on the floor. All right. I've got a couple of dogs here that look. Uh, oh, well, a couple of Alsatians. Yeah, a couple of Alsatians. Yeah, That's what we got. For you. Uh, you wondered why that was in our writer. Well, that's 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 <laughs> the why. reason why. <laughs> so, anything more to say about the these movies? First of all, uh, was this the most successful Marx Brothers movie? No. Was it more successful than uh, the Coconuts? Probably well, might have been, but uh, they were both very successful. I don't know. I don't actually know what the earnings were on. on, on oh, okay. You know, I should check. I know that I know the Marx. I know that Coconuts made around two million dollars. When was a lot when of fans of Marx Brothers movies talk about Marx Brothers movies, yeah, this feels like the one that they always go for. No. Oh, you, you don't you don't agree? Well, I mean, of course, times change and, and movies come and go. So, you know, so for a long time, A Night at the Opera has been the the most fated, most celebrated uh, Marx Brothers film. Okay, this is this is the one I've heard about the most. I think when people talk about the Marx Brothers, mm. it's about this. And also, yeah. it seems like the songs are the ones that yeah, you know the yeah. most. Yeah, no, and... it's true. For a long time, this movie wasn't wasn't uh, held in super high esteem. And in fact, when I was reading Joe Adamson's book, uh, Grocho Harpo, Chico, and Sometimes Zeppo, he comments in there that this movie had fallen below in favor uh, The Coconuts, which seems very strange i would disagree with that yeah. of course of course you would because that's ridiculous i mean in every way you know it's not technically perfect still you know there's still there's still some elements of sound recording that fail fail the film and it's not the film's fault mm-hmm. and it's not anyone's fault it's just realities of what they had to deal with there are scenes where you can hear people clunking along their feet are clunking on the wooden floors and stuff like that the risers yeah. and things yeah and that's just the way the film was the camera is sitting another camera the microphone is sitting Somewhere where it's picking up the vibrations of people walking, and that's it was just a limitation of the time. They had not quite got to the idea of having a overhead boom mic picking up, rather, you know, instead of and and they hadn't 
got the technology yet that they could have a mic that was sensitive enough and direct and directional enough that you could pick up just the sound of people, not everything else that was going on around them. The breathing of the, the, the stagehand, the, the, the hum of the camera, all the rest of these things that were all being picked up. So, you know, the movies are going to get better as we go technically, but in terms of like performance, script, you know, everything, uh, jokes and all the rest of yeah. it, this, you know, Animal Crackers is a really good movie. And yeah, I, think, I will agree. You know, and uh, there's films I like more, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, Kick it know, out of bed for I, Animal no, Crackers? I wouldn't pick it out of bed for eating <laughs> Animal Crackers. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, good. That's good. We should have ended there. Uh, it's, yeah. Get it's, the flit. Get quick the Henry. Flit. Quick, quick Henry. <laughs> Yeah, we have an ending. Get the flit. We, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's a fantastic film. Like, I, I rank this film very highly. I really like this movie. Okay. Well, let us know what, uh, you think. Because uh, yes, we, we love your feedback. If you want to, uh, get in touch with us, uh, it's best to do it through our Sneaky Dragon page. Because that is the other podcast that we do. If you want to hear us mm-hmm. talking about stuff that isn't this, uh, well, that's, that's where you do. And it's also where we post, uh, these episodes. So that's sneakydragon.com. You can comment underneath each of the episodes. There's a little message area. You could also go and email us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Uh, we will probably have a Facebook page for this in the future, but for now, Sneaky Dragon is also a good place to go, and we're on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon. Also, want me to keep going? I can do it. Uh, we're also uh, sneakydragon.tumblr.com uh, as well. And you know what? We've got other things. Look it up. You'll be able to find us. We would love to hear from you and see what you think. Yeah. Also, if you have a chance, uh, if you fancy the show, uh, uh, if you could go on iTunes and give us a little review yeah. or a rating, that helps yeah. people to find yeah. the show, especially when the show is beginning. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, please do that. Help us put ourselves out there. Yeah. We're, we're going to all the trouble of putting ourselves out there, aren't we? I think that's exactly what we've been doing know. for about an hour and a half. I don't know what I'm saying now. I was just paying for my parking. I know. So. Uh, I, just, I saw you doing that. I appreciate that you, you are paying for your, for, for, for your parking. Sorry. All right. So uh, now I'm getting out the ether. Uh, oh. Anything before oh. I... Uh, here we go. I've, I've opened the bottle. I'm pouring it into thing. Are you ready to go? I just have one thing to say. Before okay, what's we... that? And... Hooray for Captain Spaulding. <laughs>